the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Black Moon Rising, starring Tommy Lee Jones, Linda Hamilton, and Robert Vaughn. I see a black moon rising. It's going to take us three hours to get through 90 minutes of a movie. <laughs> I see Linda Hamilton's boobies. <laughs> and I'm Just not going to turn it off today. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little Just bit. Little, Just a little bit. <laughs> Got to avoid Tommy Lee's pockmarks all over his face. Oh, HD, don't do him right. HD is not kind to Tommy Lee Jones, and I will not be kind either. <laughs> I got a question for you. If uh, if you're battling alcoholism, do you think it's probably not the best idea in the world to do a movie where you are uh, constantly have like a drink in your hand? Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. a thought. Just, just a thought. Just a thought. Because <laughs> allegedly, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll get to the title and everything of the movie we're about to break down, but Tommy Lee Jones is in said movie. But apparently in this movie, he was, uh, you know, gripping with legit uh, issues of alcoholism, which made it very hard for his co-star Linda Hamilton Yeah. Uh, in said movie we'll talk about. And uh, kind of drove like it was like a living hell working with the guy. It, but yet there's many scenes in the movie where he's got a beer in a hand or a shot of whiskey in his hand or something in his hand. And there's many scenes in the movie where I can see a, a, a twinkle in Linda Hamilton's eye die a little bit as she's like <laughs> screaming inside, get me out of this movie. But she's a professional, so you can barely, barely see it. You can barely she, see it. But knowing that it's there, knowing the, the little bit of backstory about it, Definitely informs your viewing. No doubt. No doubt. And for those of you wondering what the hell we're talking about today, and you didn't catch it from the intro of so beautifully sung by Corey Zach Revival. I don't know. That doesn't <laughs> flow as well as Credence does. Um, <clears throat> we're talking about 1986's Black Moon Rising. 
Black Moon Rising. <laughs> got the got the Danshorizing. <laughs> you don't see his bare ass. <laughs> He's not dancing like in dead kids. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, you know, what's really funny is Corey and I have just started this. Uh, I mean, I'm drinking coffee. He's drinking a beer, but barely. So we're sober. (laughs) We're We're three minutes in, guys, and I'm already having a blast. Me too. Me too. And I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the realization that this is, um, my penultimate film of 2022 on pad because yeah. I've got one more, which will be my Christmas pick and that's it for 2022. So as a penultimate pick, I believe I uh, either screwed the pooch or <laughs> you, you did something, buddy. You did, I screwed you did it, something. But did I do it with a smile on my face or a frown? We'll find out as this movie goes down. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're talking about black moon rising 1986. Uh, my uh, before I get into my backstory on this, Corey, what are your uh, what's what's your backstory on Black Moon Rising? The VHS cover. I remember that. And that is pretty much it. Uh, I think I remember you mentioning to Dan Shore when we interviewed him that you liked him in Black Moon Rising. I don't I know if I'm making that up, but uh, not. I think that's when I discovered that he was actually in it. Um, so <laughs> other than that. Nothing. I, I've never seen it. Um, I will say, as a kid, I had a huge crush on Linda Hamilton, thanks to uh, the Terminator. Zach and I have discussed that at length before, but um, I never. It's funny. I never really branched out and and kind of uh, tracked down other movies uh, of hers. So it was really fun to see her in this. Um, and actually, she was probably my favorite character in the film. But yeah. other than that, yeah. I have zero connection to this movie up until three days ago when I watched it for the very first time. That's wild because I have quite a backstory on this one. But I echo your sentiment about Linda Hamilton. Uh, I'll throw out another movie she did in the, from the 80s in a moment. That's not Terminator. Uh, this movie shares a similar scene to Terminator, though. Sure and does. And she does a similar thing in was, Terminator that she did. I was going to say, I think we actually kind of see how Linda Hamilton actually is when she's making love because she acts the same in both Terminator and this. And I say that as someone who watched the Terminator sex scene a gazillion times as a kid. It was weird. <laughs> It was weirdly one of my favorite sex scenes because I love the passion in it. <laughs> Zach's just shaking his head right now as as he's picturing 11-year-old Corey being like, I love the passion, guys. No, you're not talking. You're just like... <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Uh, that's for you, Crystal. Um, so I used to watch this movie... Uh, I used to watch the last 15 minutes of this movie quite often back in the day because it was on uh, HBO or Cinemax when I would wake up at 5.30 in the morning with my mom. Like I said, From Beyond was on a lot back in the day, but Black Moon Rising always seemed to pop up on basic, uh, no, on regular cable uh, in those last 15 minutes that we will get into probably the fastest 15 minutes of the movie where they're just like, Oh shit. We got, oh, we got to hurry up and finish the movie. Damn it. Okay. Hurry. Go, 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 go. Kill the bad guy. Kill the bad guy. Kill him. Done. Jump the car from building to building and fast and the furious will rip that off in about 30 years. 
<laughs> oh, they're so original. <laughs> no, they're not. There is no originality, guys, except no. for in Black Moon Rising. Um, yeah, so that's my history with this movie. And then I, I my brother would rent it occasionally uh, from the video store and we watch it. And I mean, I, I have a I had a, a quite a fondness of this movie back in the day. But I hadn't watched it in like maybe ten or twenty years. Yeah. So, um, you know, when Corey on on our on our Patreon, and if you're not a member of our Patreon, you should sign up because it's totally worth it. In fact, I think we just gained another Patreon today, we which did. is exciting. <laughs> we did. Thank you so much for for signing up. We did a live unboxing on our wrap up after dark, and um, I knew Corey could have picked a bunch of different movies. I wanted him to pick this one specifically because we're knee deep in the heart of. John Carpenter with the Carpenter Factor, and John Carpenter helped write the screenplay for this movie. Yes, yes, he did. That was uh, that was shocking to me when I found that out. And uh, on the Blu-ray that you sent me, there is a nice little uh, twenty-minute sort of um, documentary thing going through specifically. John Carpenter, more of like what the scripts that he wrote that he sort of didn't direct. And there's only there's only a handful. There's only like three or four like weird shit that like, well, I'm trying to think of this one. So he pitched this one movie um, for John Wayne. It was like a Western called like Blood River. And then later it got made into a TV movie with uh, Ricky Schroeder and Wilford Brimley. But uh, John Carpenter like had nothing to do with it. And then there was like a river. <laughs> and then there was uh, another one called like Venoms or something like that. And so like I think hmm. this is probably the most known uh or or probably the most mainstream of his written but didn't direct, you know, scripts. Yeah, this is this is a very like mainstream type movie with grindhouse elements in it. Would you agree? Yeah, because Tonally, I thought it kind of shifted a lot. Um, at sometimes, since I, I, I look, I appreciate obviously Linda Hamilton's nudity and everything in it. I appreciate some of the violence that is in it. Um, but I think that you could have cut a lot of that and had a solid PG film, uh, yeah. and and maybe even a better movie. I don't know, but tonally it felt to me like a big budget made for TV movie. And after yeah. two viewings, I put, if you want to look at it as a negative connotation, I put the blame on the DP. I think he uh, kind of was like a no frills director of photography. And we'll talk about his, his, you know, his, what he's worked on and not, not much I even recognize. So I kind of put that on his category, but I kind of put that on his shoulders, I should say. But I also don't mean that in the in an ultimate negative feeling about the film. I, just because I say it feels like a big budget made for TV movie, doesn't mean that that's necessarily a bad thing across 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 the board. Essentially, yeah. No, I I, I see what you're saying, and uh, I, I I get your intention. Um, yeah, we'll just kind of dig into it and and see what we can see as far as like what works and what doesn't work, and what is you know, terrible special effects and what is amazing uh, stunt work yeah. by one particular person. So, yes, uh, I mean, a lot of stuff, uh, you know, again, I don't want to go into this, uh, this review with any kind of negative thoughts. I think a lot of this, uh, you know, what this movie has in it is a lot of fun and there's a lot of cool shit to be had. Um, I just think a couple things sort of hold it back uh, visually and in sort of the scope a little bit, like it kind of only takes place in like a couple locations. And that sort of, I think, 
adds to the the feeling of of maybe a limited budget, you know, or but then they feel like they spend their budget on other things, you know, type of thing. But I yeah. I, I, I got the sense that it wasn't the biggest budget out there, essentially. No, I agree. I agree. I I love a good heist movie. Yep. I love a good caper film. Yep. And this is definitely it. Um, and I love this. I, I've got to be honest. This is probably one of my favorite Tommy Lee Jones roles I've ever seen him in, um, where he's kind of exuding coolness. Haven't, haven't seen this side of him in a while. Granted, you know, the guy has longevity. He's been in a million things. Um, well, to be exact, he's been in well over 200 some odd movies. The guy is, you know, he's kind of a legendary actor. He's one of those old school legendary actors who's been in everything from, you know, big budget uh, blockbuster films to like kind of somewhat indie type movies like like this one, like Black Moon Rising. Um, I'm just going to throw out a couple fun kind of lesser known movies. Rolling Thunder, he had a small role in that uh, with William Devane. That's always cited as being a favorite of John, of um, Quentin Tarantino. And that's I love William Devane, so I, I want to watch that at some point. Because uh, based on the cover, I didn't know that that was him. And if I was a kid... I probably would have been more inclined to watch it with him in it. He's always been one of those character actors that I've always liked. Uh, loved him in Hollow Man. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Um, if you if you've ever seen The Park Is Mine, or if you've never seen The Park Is Mine, you should check that out. It's a cool kind of action drama thriller uh, that he did in the mid '80s with Yafet Kodo. Okay, and uh, that that's a decent one to check out. And then he followed that up soon after with Black Moon Rising. And I mean, the guy like we don't need to say more about his who he is as an actor. Um, he was battling some demons during this one, but I, I personally didn't see it. He looked like he was having a good time. Yeah, no, I didn't see it on on his face. Um, I, I feel like I saw it more on on Linda Hamilton's face. Uh, no, I just I just saw, uh, you know craters <laughs> i just saw <laughs> H- hd is not kind to young tommy well, lee jones i will say kino again with the win kino uh kino blu-ray kino home video whatever they're called is kino lorber put out great discs for practically nothing yeah. then they're like you know the mill creek puts out bare bones discs in a cool slip cover but mill creek like gives you everything and then charges you 10 bucks for yeah. a blu-ray so if you're interested in this film uh amazon i think they're always on sale in amazon but then they have like 70 percent off sales on their website all the time so go check that out but um yeah linda hamilton so really quickly really quickly uh tommy lee jones plays quint linda hamilton plays nina and i, I mean like Corey said the terminator franchise uh but if you've never seen uh, a movie called um, tag the assassination game from the early 80s i believe it's getting a blu-ray soon um i highly recommend that movie that she's been in i, I feel like you've mentioned that one before i did because nick castle wrote it and directed it okay okay um and i often think like you know nick castle loves rightfully so like he ta- loves to tout the fact that he was the original shape but my God, the guy's filmography as a director is impressive as well. 
Yeah. And as a kid, I, I actually watched Children of the Corn a lot, so I always remember her from that. Um, I think I think I watched that one a lot because I think Luke had it taped off a of TV, so it was like on VHS and just readily available. Um, and of course, I watched Terminator a lot, but I was also a huge Beauty and the Beast fan as a kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, that came out was 87 to 89, so I was like, I was nine years old when it came out. You were, I guess, uh, 11 when it came out. Yep. And, uh, uh, yeah, dude, it was, I used to love that show so much. And that was, uh, the, that show is what sort of gave me the crush on Linda Hamilton. Cause you know, when I was younger at that age and I was watching Terminator, it was like, oh yeah, this is cool. I kind of got a crush on her and beauty and the beast. And then you get older and you're like, well, Terminator is awesome, but it does have a great sex scene in it too. So, you know what I mean? So like Linda Hamilton was always a part of my <laughs> sexual maturity i guess <laughs> yeah that's fair that's fair if i ever meet her I'll... <laughs> and, and so is that song that song makes me hard now like pavlov's dog oh jeez <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> um yeah so uh moving on to robert vaughn <laughs> moving on Rob, uh, robert vaughn robert vaughn plays ryland um, I mean, he's a legendary actor. Rest in peace. He passed away in 2016. Man from Uncle. Yeah, I, honestly, I'll say real quick the thing that always I think solidified in my head him, uh, Superman three. As a kid, I think I saw that as a kid, and and forever since he was always sort of the villain to me from Superman three. Yeah, Robert Vaughn. It, you know, he played a hero in The Magnificent Seven. Uh, obviously, the Man from Uncle. The guy is. Phenomenal, I think. Um, so, you know, in this, he plays a villain of all about maybe 20 minutes of the movie. He's yeah, in. yeah, <laughs> Very yeah. short. And but he also, you know, when he is on screen, he's awesome. You know, he, he is Robert Vaughn for crying out loud. He was also in Bullet as well, a movie yeah. that I I adore that film. Um, but yeah, he's he's fantastic in this movie. Um, but yeah, like I said, Superman three. For some reason, that's my brain always goes. It's like when you're a kid, you know, you're you're impressionable, and then you see something, it just etches itself into your brain, basically. Just like Superman three, just like Super- they did it in Superman three. Oh yeah, Office <laughs> Space. Um, a guy we brought up on on another episode. Uh, well, actually, on the Carpenter Factor with Starman, which which Richard- will be dropping after this episode. Okay, so a guy we will uh, be dropping, a guy we will be bringing up in the next month of Starman, uh, Richard Jekyll. He plays uh, Earl, and he was in Starman. Uh, (laughs) He's been in a bunch of stuff. If you want to know what else we liked him in, go check out The Carpenter Factor when we talk about Starman on Patreon. That's right. Uh, Lee Ving. A.K.A. Mr. Body from Clue. A.K.A punk rock hero from the band fear uh you know he's been in so many great things in his career didn't we just i feel like i just saw him in something recently was it streets of fire was he in that that's right yeah streets of fire he's been in flash dance uh i mean the guy has been in the wildlife which i love with chris penn i was waiting Um, for you to bring that one up Yep, I mean, he's been in so many great movies. If you've never seen Get Crazy, it's a wild, like, musical uh, comedy, drug-induced kind of thing. 
Um, yeah, leaving is he's the dude is a stud. He's still rocking and rolling, going strong. I think he still performs or or you know he goes to conventions at least. But leaving plays Ringer. He's referred to as Marvin throughout the movie, but he's his name is Marvin Ringer. So I may just call him Ringer. I may call him Marvin, but. Look out for both of those. Yeah, I, I called him Marvin in all of my my notes and everything. Um, and I think he did what he did some music. Uh, you, you said he's he's a musician, so I think he did a song for uh, Repo Man. He did a song for Thrashing and whatnot. Yep. Um, I've ne- I, and for Class of nineteen eighty four. Um, I I do I know this band. I'm not a big punk. I guess Robert Ortiz probably knows this band, right? I think you do. I think you've heard their music before. If not, you should check it out. They're cool. Okay. Um, the I think they're in the Foo Fighter documentary Sound City also okay. because cool. I know uh they uh, leaving played with the Foo Fighters and did a couple songs from Fear. Um, anyways, kick ass dude, kick ass actor, kick ass musician. Uh, another kick-ass dude is Bubba Smith, <laughs> yeah. who plays Johnson. Johnson, baby. I mean, besides being a prolific football player, where do, where do we know him from, Corey? Police Academy, of course. Come on, guys. Uh, I mean, as a kid growing up, he was always Hightower to me. He's always going to be Hightower. I don't care if he's a Hall of Fame football player. Yeah, he's always going to be Hightower. He's always going to be Hightower. <laughs> yeah, he plays Agent Johnson. Um, a blast from our podcasting after dark past. Dan Shore plays Billy. 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 Uh, you Dude. guys all know who Dan Shore is. If you don't, when then what the hell's wrong with you? Go check out Strange Behavior, aka Dead Kids. Uh, it's worth watching. Dan Shore's fantastic in it, but my God, it's worth watching for that dance scene alone. But of course, everybody and and their mother probably know him as Ram from 1982's Tron. And that butt, yeah, <laughs> that butt. But yeah, dude, Dan Shore's rocking and rolling this movie. He's got a nice little. Southern accent going on and everything. Getting him ready for Billy the Kid from uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. So That's right. I was I was actually literally thinking the exact same thing. I was like, yeah. is he is he still like just sticking that Billy the Kid uh, you know dialect or something? You know, I'm, I mean maybe just stayed with him. Who knows? Yeah. We'll have to have him back on the show when we ac- we can actually see his face because when we recorded Zoom, like he had some problem with his uh, video monitor and we couldn't see him. Which is, which kind of like when I think back on who we interviewed, he kind of doesn't pop up in my head because, yeah, we never saw him. It was just like talking to him on the phone, which just kind of created a weird disconnect, you know? Which is what we did with Tom Noonan, too, but, you know, that, that was, was probably just, for better. That he was probably wanted terrifying. to kill us when we were done with <laughs> That was terrifying. God. Um, someone who doesn't do a good, um, I guess, dialect or. Um, well, well, I'll, I'll just get to that in a second. William Sanderson plays Tyke. Uh, William Sanderson, you guys should know him from Blade Runner, probably specifically. Uh, Last Man Standing, he's yep. terrific. I mean, he's a great character actor. But as someone who grew up in the 80s watching the New Heart show, uh, he will always be the guy who's like, here's my brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl. And then they never talked, and he's the only one that did talk. And I Yeah, Daryl, Daryl, and Daryl. Yep, I watched right? the shit out of that show back in the day, dude. Yeah, and I just have to say he does a. This movie apparently took a lot of shit because he's he's uh, he's deaf in this film. His character is, and he doesn't sign properly. He's no. just basically making up a bunch of hand movements, gestures. So. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Apologies to the deaf community. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they were not kind to this performance. 
No, no. Uh, someone who has literally two scenes in this film, unfortunately, is Keenan Wynn, who plays Iron John. Um, Keenan Wynn is a legendary, legendary actor from Dr. Strangelove, Annie Get Your Gun, Song of the Thin Man, um, Highway to Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, he's been in. Oh, uh, apparently he was uh, Chester Copperpotter in The Goonies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's got a lot of credits under his belt, and he was in Piranha. Um, he was a lot of fun to watch in this, but I I absolutely did not recognize him. Oh, really? He's a he's a legendary character actor. Yeah. Um, someone who's legendary through his father and has become legendary in his own right as a director. Yes. I know ter- our boy Terry Chapman loves The Notebook. Uh, Nick Cassavetes Ooh. plays Luis. <laughs> oh, Nick. Casavetti's not my man. <laughs> Love to hate him. Love to hate him. Quick side note. Um, he made a movie in the early 2000s, I think. Uh, something Dog. Um, Dylan Dog, maybe? No, 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 not Dylan Dog. I was going to say no, not Dylan Dog. <laughs> no, no. He directed, oh, Alpha Dog. Sorry, oh, that's Alpha right. I saw Dog. That. Yep, I saw that movie. So my buddy Jamal... When inter- when IMDb message boards were a thing, just like was crapping on the movie, and Nick Cassavetes came on defending the movie, but under a different name. Oh, and, okay. And Jamal called him out on it, and he's like, "I'm not, I'm not Nick Cassavetes." Like, "Yeah, you are," because I looked up your email address. It's right there, and it's your Nick. Like, totally did some digging and found out it was Nick Cassavetes who was like defending his own movie, but not taking full credit for it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Anyways. uh the uh the notebook the so no, the notebook can i can i call somebody out here please do i have a feeling i know who it is but please do <laughs> don keith oper plays frenchie and as i was watching it like i'm you know kind of looking down or whatever i kind of look back up and i was like that's charlie from critters isn't it and i kind of paused yep. the movie and then went yep sure as shit is and he will always be burned into my brain as charlie from critters he's so great he's so great he has uh yeah two scenes uh, most of the actors in this movie have like two or three scenes if you yeah, think about it it's pretty quick yeah they go by but but he's fantastic uh he's such a great but this movie has a great cast it does it really does it's uh, everyone does a great job throughout the entire film and then we get to behind the scenes the director is harley Cokeless. uh he is known for actually he's been in the business he's still working in the business um, apparently there's a TV miniseries called Star Hunter Transformation I've never heard of. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, he's done movies like <clears throat> Battle Truck. Battle Truck. <laughs> I saw that. He did that right before this. But I saw that poster and I was like, I kind of want to watch that movie, though. I've never seen Battle Truck. I'm kicking myself that I haven't. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> Kino's got to release it because Kino does great like cult movies. It's got our boy Michael Beck in it, so yeah. I got to see it. Battle Truck. Anyways, we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Moving on to John Carpenter, obviously, was one of the writers, but there's three writers for this. Desmond Nakano and William Gray. I think William Gray wrote the original screenplay uh well, he might have write, wrote the original screenplay based on Jar- John Carpenter's story, and then John Carpenter tinkered you know, elements. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know how much of actual 
John Carpenter's, you know, uh, final script made it on screen. He wrote this at the same time that I, I think he was filming uh, Escape from New York or around the time when he wrote Escape from New York. So it's around that time. And uh, I, I don't think a lot of it made it on screen, but I, I, I get some feels. I get some Carpenter feels here. So do know? I. Well, he was also an executive producer of this movie. Yeah, that I mean, that was them kind of just giving them. I don't think he had anything to do with it. That was just give, throwing him a, a an EP credit, you know. Is okay. guys and gals, EP credits are, are kind of the, the the cheapest thing to throw around to people, you know. Well, uh, this movie shares another Carpenter link with Todd C. Ramsey, who's the editor, because he was the editor for the Thing and Escape from New York. Yeah, and and I saw that, and I was like, huh. I don't know if he actually does that great of a job in in this movie, and I call it out in the in the credits at the beginning where he decided to put his name right over Tommy Lee Jones's eyeball, you know, at the beginning of the movie, and I was like, that's yeah. weird. Um, it's an inter- There's some interesting long choices in this film. Yeah. This mo- movie is it clocks in at an hour and thirty nine minutes. It should have been an hour and thirty minutes. I yeah, I I agree with that. And then um, the the director of photography, Misha Susilov, um, he, he's nothing that i even recognize or know um to be honest he's still working he's still around doing stuff but to be truthful with you to me just sort of scanning through it all looks like straight to video kind of stuff you know yeah he's i mean he's working he's a working uh dp good for him but yeah a lot of his stuff is it's straight to video type stuff so well, maybe he he did do 315 the moment of truth right after this and I mean, we we love three fifteen, but we also acknowledge that it's got flaws as well. Yeah, it, it wasn't something a movie that really stood out for its uh, cinematography or anything. No, <laughs> no. Something though that stands out, the final person that stands out in this movie, uh, is definitely the composer, Lalo Schifrin. You, if you don't know who he is, well, <laughs> Enter the Dragon. Start with that one, and then work your way up. And he did a lot of Mission Impossible films, right? Yeah, Lalo Schifrin's a legend. Like, he's a legendary film composer. Uh, I would hold him in the same regard as Ennio Morricone or John Williams, that that kind of high regard. Lalo does a lot of that. Like, from the 70s, you know? Which, has this has elements of that. And yet, I truly felt myself not impressed by the music in the, in this movie. Um, I, I, Zach is notably much stronger in the music department than I am. Uh, inherently, I don't have much vocabulary to talk about it. Um, but I did listen, I did pay attention to it and I didn't quite love it. And a few times I didn't quite feel like it felt, I didn't, I didn't feel like it kind of matched what was happening on the screen. Um, I could be wrong, like, but that was just sort of my gut and how I felt vo- both viewings with the 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 score. What? Yeah, but what you're were your wrong. thoughts? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what were your thoughts on it? Well, no, it, it's it's similar to other movies we've done before. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of them. But other movies where the the score was like felt a little dated. Uh, would have preferred like maybe a more of a synth type score yeah, instead I... of a kind of you know seventy. Oh, I'm thinking of the new kids. Um, you know, nothing against the composer of that either, but it just, there were scenes where it, it felt like a little, a, maybe that's what made you feel like made for TV ish because it just had that like kind of TV cop drama 
music to it. Yeah. TJ Hooker style. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, other than that, uh, Lalo Schifrin still is a legendary uh, name to put on this movie. And then you slap John Carpenter's name on it and people go, oh, shit, it's a John Carpenter movie. Because I remember when this movie first came out, I thought it was a John Carpenter film simply because I saw his name somewhere in the credits and I was too, you know, naive to investigate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm done. So, um, <laughs> but let's jump into this. Let's jump into. I see a bad movie. Gonna get broken down by Corey and Zach. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's just you know bad and black, bad moon. Whatever. You get the point. Let's just roll the trailer, shouldn't we? We should. Ryland Enterprises. Chairman of the board, Edward Ryland. His business, transportation. Illegal transportation. The last time someone took something from him, they turned up dead. But Mr. Ryland just made a big mistake. He took something from this man, Sam Quint. Black Moon Rising opens up with that sweet, beautiful New World Pictures logo with the, I mean, I could listen to the opening music to the New World Pictures logo all day long. First note, my friend, I love the New World Pictures logo. I mean, like, come on, so many New World Pictures ended up getting, I think, absorbed by New Line uh, down the road, so... Oh, the glory days. They just don't make them like that anymore. No. From those sweet credits, you get to a computer screen, basically, a computer monitor that says to Lieutenant R. Johnson, Los Angeles Division. Well, we know who Johnson is. It's Bubba Smith. Yep. From the FBI Washington, from FBI Washington with a file number, Grand Jury Investigation of Lucky Dollar Corporation, Las Vegas. The message follows. Attorney General requires all financial records and statements for last tax year. Sources indicate pertinent information on data tape. Well, good thing they can get those tax records. Legal procedures exhausted. Use freelance operative time factor critical. Message ends. It's all typed out that way in the opening kind of, you know, pre-monologue. Yeah, my only disappointment is that it didn't end with end of line. That would have been really fantastic, but <laughs> message ends does not have the same impact as end of line. It certainly does not. <laughs> no. From there, the movie just cold opens to a gas station where Tommy Lee Jones pulls up, a.k.a. Quint, in a uh, like a Jeep Cherokee. It's a, I don't know, one of those SUV Cherokees. 
So my takeaway throughout the entire film is all of his cars stolen. Like, I don't think any of them are sort of his. I always got the impression that he probably just steals them. So I agree with you. I think that I, that's my assumption, too, um, because he's a thief. Yeah. We, we get his backstory or a little bit of his backstory as the movie goes on. He's the hired gun that they're referring to in the opening credits. There's not a lot of explanation, but it's one of those things where you just like understand. It's kind of an implicit that this is the guy who's going to be hired by the job. This scene has nothing to do with the rest of the movie other than the fact that it shows his charisma. Yeah. Yeah. And he shows he sort of doesn't back down or anything, you know? Yeah. And a little bit of his care, his empathy. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, he, he cuts a striking silhouette in, in his outfit there. Like he's, he's a pretty tall athletic dude, you know, aside from like we said, the HD stuff, but, uh, he's, he's still a pretty good looking guy. I think Tommy Lee Jones is a badass. I think he looks super cool in this. And I, and I'm watching this again. I was reminded of why I thought he was cool back in the day because he's wearing all black. He's got his cool little haircut and he looks tough. Yeah, I, I got to say, I, I didn't really sort of chime in on it. Um, I didn't really, as a kid, sort of discover Tommy Lee Jones. I had seen him before and stuff. I really didn't discover him, I think, until The Fugitive, until my dad took me to see that in the theater. And I was like, oh, this guy's pretty cool because I didn't see this movie, you know, Black Moon Rising and stuff. So. It was the fugitive that really sort of put him on, you know, little Corey's radar, you know, but he clearly did a million things before it. Yeah, totally. In, in some ways, he reminds me of a, a tough guy. When Nick Nolte plays a tough guy, he's like the dark haired version of Nick Nolte, basically. And I think Tommy Lee Jones is one of those guys that have actually gotten better looking with age. Yeah, agreed. Well, and, you know, if he's got and he had, if he had demons he was working on in this, that explains it. Exactly. He walks into the gas station and I love how he like points to the guy behind the counter and says coffee to go get coffee. But there's a sign that says coffee <laughs> and he walks up and pours some coffee I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the coffee where it says coffee, dickhead. Um, suddenly a robber comes in, tells everybody to freeze. Guy yells, you know, don't move and don't move or you're dead or whatever. And uh, and then Quint looks at him and says, this something new for you. And the robber's like, shut up, shut your goddamn mouth. And Quinn says, fine, no problem. There's the cash register and points at the cash register. And he goes, right up there, that's the television camera. There's a nice full face shot of you. How about a profile shot? <laughs> and the guy, when he realizes there's a camera on him, he kind of hides his face, tries to. And Quint continues. He goes, look, we can do this a couple of different ways. And the guy's the robber's still getting aggressive with him. He's like, I told you to shut up. And Quint's like, all right, fine. I'm just saying, you got to think these things through. You don't just come walking into someplace, waving a gun around and expect the world to put up with that. It's not acceptable behavior. And the robber's like, yeah, you're going to stop me. And Quint goes, well, hell no, go right ahead. You probably got a minute or two because suddenly you hear sirens from a car uh, from police coming down the road. And then he says, maybe you don't. And then he gets serious and he goes, just trying to help you, son. And then the sirens continue. The robber splits without taking anything. Quint looks over at the guy behind the counter and goes, that boy's got a bad attitude. Camera fades and goes to the shot of credits. And the the first time I watched it, right out of the gate, I thought Quint was going to be a cop, right? So you're like, oh, okay. Me too. You know, because that, that's sort of Tommy Lee Jones' thing. And see me, you know, me knowing him from The Fugitive. But, like, watching it a second time, realizing that he's a thief, 
That's this is one thief trying to help another up and coming thief, but not you know not like rob or the get place. him out of it. He's get trying to get him of out of the trouble that he's about that he knows he's about to get into. Yeah, he's in. He ultimately he. It's I get the sense that he wants this kid to be better than what he is. Yeah, and, and it's a cool way to kind of get this character started. Like mm-hmm. this guy's a badass. He's not a, he's not intimidated by people, and he's also a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what else this guy's up to. Yeah, this little scene is literally just to inform character. All it is, because from here, the credits roll, and you see shots of Vegas while Quint is driving around in his car and close-up shots of his face squinting and making faces and looking around in the Vegas Strip. You get a whole tour of the Vegas Strip for the opening credits. Yeah, and this it's is a waste when I, of five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this is when I noticed that, like, the editor put his credit up, and it's like it's like the his title, like, editing by, you know, and it's, like, off-center, but it's so weird because it's over a shot of Quint's face, and then, like the, like, the last letter is on his eyeball, and I'm just like, well, that was just weird, you know, and that's just right away out of the gate. I was like, I don't know if I'm liking this editor. (laughs) Side note, you know how uh, television shows and movies, people are watching more and more with subtitles on because for whatever reason, I do it because the the volume level changes so much in TV shows. I just get sick and tired of it. So I keep it low and I can just read the subtitles and I don't mind. But you notice they're starting to put subtitles. Well, they've done this for a while now. They put them in the top of the of the screen yeah. when the credits are rolling. Yeah. And when they the put credits it at the bottom. Are, yeah. So it's super fucking distracting. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's almost kind of like the, the editor's credit right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then some people are getting savvy now. I'm noticing credits. Sometimes if the person to the left is talking, the credits will kind of be closer to the left hand side. Yeah. Yeah. And then they'll shift it. That's what, which is pretty cool by the way. Yeah. No, give give. I listen to, listen to uh, the, the uh, subtitles and everything too. I'm all, all about it so give us good credits and good subtitles i know our boy diallo does not prefer those subtitles but that's why he's not on this episode of podcasting after dark (laughs) um okay so cut from the credits ending you cut to an out an exterior shot of the lucky dollar corporation sign quint rolls up he uses a code breaker to break into the building searches and my immediate thought was hudson run a bypass (laughs) Well, I do want to also point out this movie, uh, this is the height of like technology just starting to boom, right? As far as tech uh, surveillance was concerned. Yeah. So I think, you know, the use of uh, video cameras in this security cameras was cool. Uh, the code breaker devices, like it were shades of sneakers uh, yeah. years later yeah. came up and I was like, oh, this reminds me of sneakers a little bit. You know? Yeah. No, I, I got the same the same shades, and man, if anything can make me think of sneakers, I am a okay with that because I know you do. You feel the same way, but we both love that movie. Yeah, maybe sneakers will pop up in a very mainstream episode of podcasting after dark. I got no beef with that whatsoever, my friend. Me neither, man. Me neither. I dude, that was one of those movies. I saw sneakers in the theater, and right when I left the theater, I was like, I just want to go right back in and watch that again. If you took one scene out of that movie, it would be accessible for all audiences. The one scene where... They call uh, Midnight? They call uh, Sidney Portier Midnight, unfortunately? No, I'm talking about that kind of sex scene where, oh, um, yeah. you know, um, um, Donald Logue in an earlier role, one of his first roles is, is making out with, uh, with a character in the movie. And it's just kind of like, it's very awkward, I think, to show little kids. Yeah. Be very weird. 
but if you cut that scene out, the rest of the movie is like almost a PG film. Yeah, you know? fun, fun movie, very fun. Yeah. But back to the fun of Quint. And so he enters this building. He's like looking aimlessly down hallways. He's looking for a room. You get the sense that he's looking for something. He finds a uh, like a computer room and with a bunch of files in it and uh, physical files. And he finds like an account. He searches for an accounting file, the one they alluded to in the opening of the movie. Once he finds the file, he trips an alarm. And now Quint is exiting the building as fast as he can. In hot pursuit, wearing all the same tan suits are a bunch of, like, security guards, I guess. Or, like, you know, Blackwater-type security guards. Yeah. Um, because there's other regular-looking security guards chasing him as well out of, out of the building. Um, suddenly, Marvin Ringer shows up, and he's got, like, an Uzi gun and starts shooting at Quint. Quint runs straight to a glass door exit and just barrels through the thing. Uh, glass goes everywhere. He gets in his Jeep and drives off and Ringer blasts out the rear view glass window of his Jeep as he drives kind of like just like fucking guns it and takes off down the road. No, you know what it was? It was uh, it was like in Sneakers where the blind guy was driving the truck over the median strips through the parking lot. Dude, it was dude. exactly... <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, I'm like in Black Moon Rising more now. Um, yeah. Because there's... Oh, yeah. yeah there's elevator shafts yeah, in that. There's like... Let's keep making the Sneakers of, connections. Fucking A, I'm down. <laughs> so, yeah, he gets out. And uh, right before that happens, when Ringer, right before Ringer shoots at him, he says, hey, Quint. And then the random security guy walks up to him and goes, you know that guy? And then that's when Quint drives off. And it's cool because, like, you know, on multiple watches, this is one of those movies, like you said earlier, it doesn't lay everything out for you. But you pick up the pieces and then you you get more clarity on, like, a second viewing. And I was like, oh, okay. And because he talks later about how Mr. I'll just call him Mr. Body, but, uh, you know, from Clue. But uh, uh, what's his first name again? Mar Marvin, I think of it. Marvin. Marvin. Marvin, yeah. So Marvin yeah. Ringer, you know, he talks about him and you get the sense that it could have been just as easily Quint could have gotten the job that Ringer got and it could have gone, you know, in reverse. And you realize that these guys are all just, they're all, you know, if you're sort of a thief, you can maybe freelance, sometimes freelance, freelance. As, a, as a mercenary, you know, and yep. stuff like that. It's, it's kind of like Cobra, you know, like, like the, the more of the higher echelon stuff, not like the grunts and everything, but you got guys that are, you know, gun runners, guys that are like, you know, Major Blood was like, you know, he's like the head of the army. It's like, I like that kind of stuff. And I like seeing this, this, this tapestry of, of, of interesting villainous characters you know and behind the scenes stuff i yeah i always like corporate intrigue like this that uses you know real life you know killers and stuff i always thought this was kind of cool that's cool and yeah that's a cool uh, uh analogy to, to link up cobra <laughs> major blood anyways um from there you cut to the desert and the supercar, the Black Moon car, which we will later find out is what it's called, is driving through the desert. Billy is driving super fast and uh, switching all sorts of little buttons and whatnot. And Earl and Tyke are monitoring the car from another destination, right? And Billy hits the booster button in the car and the sh car shoots up and it 
goes to the top speed of 325 miles per hour. The car finally stops, and Billy, Earl, and Tyke all celebrate. And it should be pointed out that the Black Moon was based on a Canadian car prototype uh, called the Wingho Concordia II, which was first unveiled to the public in 1980. Only one of these were ever actually built, so the car scene in the film is a copy cast from the molds. Um, it does not look as cool as the Wraith. It's not uh, one of the cooler. I, I'd, I'd say it's lower echelon movie, uh, like movie cars go. But one thing this movie does do very well is show the sense of speed with the uh, with the Black Moon. There is not a lot of like Mad Max style sped up footage. I got a true sense of speed uh, in this scene here, and then later in the, the the Linda Hamilton chase scene when she steals it, spoiler alert, um, that's a great scene. Actually, probably my favorite scene in the whole movie is that chase through uh, downtown L.A. But yeah. I just wanted to call out that you know what, what this car is and everything, but this movie does a great job of giving you an awesome sense of speed. Yeah, and I also want to point out uh, The Wraith came out the same year as this movie, so mm -hmm. uh, Cassavetes is in two car movies. That's right, same year, yep. Died in both, spoiler. <laughs> um, from there, you cut to a, eh, like a, like a like a market in the middle of the desert, uh, and Quint is sitting in his Cherokee. It's, it's a Chief Jeep, by the way, Cherokee Chief Jeep, which are, I just want to point out, those are kind of like high-end on the Jeep scale. Like, they're nice. Yeah. But whatever. But again, I think he probably stole it. He probably did. And he's listening to a news report on the radio. Uh, the, news, the, the reporter says the Lucky Dollar Corporation security guards shot it out with a burglar who escaped, apparently empty handed. The Lucky Dollar Corporation is currently the object of a federal grand jury probe looking into possible racketeering and tax and then cuts off. And if this were 2022... Nothing would ever become of it because nope. there are two justice systems in America, one for the rich and powerful and one for everybody else. And yeah, anyways, good times. Yeah, it would follow up with the Supreme Court just made sure that they will not have to reveal their tax yeah. results. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Anyways, back to that. Back to <laughs> suddenly um, Billy, Tyke and Earl pull into the gas station market area and quint approaches earl as he's starting to walk into the gas station to pay the attendant and uh they exchange pleasantries and quint asks him if he's headed to la and earl says he is and quint goes could you give me a lift and then earl looks over at quint's jeep with the rear window shot out and he goes uh i don't think so <laughs> i love i love that he just like Takes one look and just looks back at Quint and he's like, I don't think so. And just turns yeah. around and leaves. I was like, you know what, Earl, you got a good head on your shoulders there. <laughs> right. So I get the sense that they're pretty close to Los Angeles because uh, Quint walks over to Billy as Billy is talking to the gas station attendant. And Billy's asking where Hollywood is. Uh, he's looking for a place called the Betsy, a real famous spot. Uh, he said he's showing off he's showing off their car there tonight. It's going to blow their goddamn minds. And, uh, and then Quint says, I'll show you where it is. And, and Billy, asks if, if, Billy asks if he's been there. And Quint says, well, no, too rich for my blood. And then Billy walks off. Then Quint approaches the car and he's looking around 
investigating the car, checking it out. And he sees like the back part of the car where a parachute would shoot out. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where the, the little housing uh, that holds the, the parachute, but the, the housing is open. Um, yes. And it's, it's cool. Cause you'll see Tyke will close it later, you know, but the housing's open because the parachute deployed when, when they were doing their test and everything. So this right. is one of those you know moments where it's, it's super tight. Like this is very, like a very tight setup here. Yeah, yeah, and they, yeah, absolutely. And Quint pulls out his little uh, tape that he stole from Lucky Dollar, and he slides it into the uh, S&M leather pocket <laughs> where the uh, parachute would go. Looks like a little banana hammock. It does, it really does. Right, and then as he's doing that, Earl walks up and asks if he can help him. And Quint says, I'm just looking at it. Uh, I'm just looking. It's a hell of a car. Quint walks back to his own car. As Earl kind of like looks at him mysteriously, gets in his own, gets into the car, uh, tells Tyke to close it up and close up the Black Moon. Tyke walks to the back of the Black Moon and closes the, the hatch where Quint stuck the tape and they drive off. So this is this is the big setup now. Quint's, you know, the, the tape is no longer on Quint's person. It's now in literally in the Black Moon. Yes, Quint's back in his car, and he starts to grin, a big shit-eating grin on his face. And apparently he improvised a lot of scenes in this mm-hmm. movie as well. And I feel like this is one scene where, like, he's, the, you know, just feels very improv Uh There's a woman in a Beamer who pulls up to the gas station, walks over to her, and he asks if he can get a ride from her. But at the exact same time, uh, Marvin Ringer pulls up with his crew. As soon as he does, Quint yells at him, I don't have what you're looking for, Marvin. Ringer smiles and he says, Mr. Quint and I go back a ways. We used to be in competition. And Quint says, I never considered you competition, Marvin. <laughs> Dude, I love how he shits on him. Like, you know, like Marvin's like, oh, don't be mean now, you know. And I, But it's a, it's a constant thing where Quint basically gives him these backhanded, not compliments, but not quite like overt you know, shit, shit ons, you know, but it's yep. great. I love it. You know, he's like, Oh, I never considered you a uh, competition. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. Ringer says, Oh, that's not nice. And then, then he goes, we had our moments, Quint. And then Quint says, must've had yours in private. <laughs> that's good. But boom, Ringer and his crew, Marvin and his crew, uh, start walking closer to Quint. Quint tells him to hang on a second. He's like, hang on guys. Hold on now. And at the exact same time, a fuel truck pulls into the, uh, gas station very fast by the way like if he hadn't if they hadn't moved out of the way they would have been hit by this truck <laughs> yeah but uh that guy was that guy was coming in hot <laughs> maybe he was the maximum overdrive yeah. truck you know had no control over it and uh, so quint gets in front of the truck before it pulls uh before it hits him and he's on one side of the truck Mar- marvin and his men are on the other side of the truck it gives quint enough time to get in his car which, you know, if he's asking all these people for rides, maybe it's because he wants to conceal his car, but he has enough energy and gusto in his car to pull off down a barren farm road. Not even a road. He just drives, like, literally down into the middle of a field. Yeah, no, my my takeaway is just he wanted something less conspicuous, you know, than having your back window shot out. That's You're going to get pulled over by a cop. That's true. That's true. Unless you're in Detroit, I suppose. <laughs> um 
And I'm from there before anyone goes, oh, it's so messed up. No, it's true. Or, or downtown Eugene yesterday, uh, or no, it was this weekend, we were walking around downtown Eugene and somebody was driving a car with no hood and no front window. And Myra was like, is that safe? And I was like, no, that's illegal. If they'll get, they'll get arrested. They'll get, that car will get impounded if a cop Did sees it. Did he ask you where Barter Town was? <laughs> seriously, fucking seriously. Who Jesus. run Barter Town? <laughs> Master Blaster runs Barter Town. Fun fact, I didn't know that line until Corey pointed it out to me. Because I haven't seen that movie as many times as Corey has. But <clears throat> uh, The only thing anyways. good about that movie is Auntie Entity anyways. Uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, so this is like an odd cut. Because from there, the camera fades. And you cut to the outside of a pool hall where, uh, slash bar where Quint is now sitting in the bar drinking a beer with a big smile on his face. So so there's been a time jump. Yeah. And and he's clearly gotten away, and he's in Los Angeles for everyone who's paying attention. Uh, he sees a biker get a beer and walk away, and he's got a big smile on his face. I'm like, why are you smiling at the biker, dude? Like, what are you thinking? What? what? what what's this asshole smiling about? <laughs> I'm going to be the one girl. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways... Uh, Marvin goes to take a piss and he sees a guy in a suit who stands out like a fucking sore thumb and, and the guy's walk watching him and follows him into the bathroom in the bathroom. Quint's looking in the mirror and he says, I'm getting too old for this shit. And suddenly Johnson walks in Bubba Smith tells the other guy, there's a very eighties looking big hair <laughs> motherfucker at the bathroom stall, big hair, little body. Uh, looks like he's the lead singer of the band, the romantics, which I love by the way. And, uh, tells the guy to put it away and get out. Yeah. That kid at the urinal looks straight out of streets of fire, dude. Yes, he did. He looked out of streets of fire. <laughs> yeah, very much. Um, then Clint, Quint, says because i did talk to text when i did this so sometimes quint got changed to clint okay quaint which is really fucking funny quint quint says to johnson he goes things have changed i need money and a passport right away johnson says where's the cassette and uh quint says on deposit i'll have it for you and johnson says you wouldn't be thinking about going back into business for yourself would you quint quint says only if i have to that's when johnson grabs quint really rough because and johnson by the way is like fucking two feet taller yeah then that that's when you realize tommy lee jones is probably a tiny guy or, or, or bubba smith is huge because he's also like a foot wider than uh tommy lee jones i'm gonna say a little bit of both there right? you go a little bit of column and, a, a little uh, bit of column b a little bit of 50 50 there a little creamsicle <laughs> and uh and johnson when he grabs him he says the attorney general is in court friday morning 9 a.m those tax records are exhibit a he wants them there. And Quint says, you remember Marvin Ringer? And Johnson says, we almost hired him. And then Johnson says, they told us you were better. And then Quint says, well, he was there last night, and I think he took it personally. And then Johnson says, well, how would he spot you? And Quint says, that's not the point. And Johnson says, well, you're losing your touch. And Quint says, well, the point is, you were supposed to have checked the personnel list. Marvin Ringer is a real problem for me. We have mutual acquaintances. Johnson says <laughs> your 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 accent is devolving. <laughs> I am sorry, it's terrible. No, it's great. I love it. I just, I want to see where it goes by the end of it because you were doing a a good subtle one about twenty minutes ago, and now it's devolving <laughs> further it's south. Come on now, <laughs> come on ding, 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 come ding, on. Who? Hey, come on now. What kind of jeans are you wearing there? <laughs> um, and Johnson says, if you fucked up. 
don't try to put it on us. And Quinn goes, I got your cassette, okay? And Johnson says, so what are we talking about? And Quint goes, well, we're talking about money. My price has doubled. And Johnson goes, you're a thief. And he goes, well, call it hazard pay. I want the money, ID, and the passport. Tonight at 8.30 in a high dollar joint called the Betsy. This is all important shit I just yeah. said, by the way. Because yeah. because this is going to carry on to the very end of the movie. All of this is pertinent information. And this, to me, this scene is important because it really shows that a lot of care was actually put into the development of this story. In between is the thief story, which is very, like, if you think about it, it's a minor story in, with, like, that's kind of bookended by this very important story. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, man. You get the sense that the backstory for these characters were really fleshed out, uh, especially, you know, Nina has a backstory, Quint has a backstory, connection with, with Ringer and everything, and kind of the only people you don't really get a backstory for are the main, main villains, uh, Ryland and uh, Luis, you know, Nick Cassavetti's, you know, side, his sidekick character. You don't, Side piece. Yeah, you don't really get much of a backstory to them, and I think that's... That might be a that might be a problem that I have with the movie, where I'm more interested in the relationship of Quint and and the Ringer um, than I am with like sort of Raylan's machinations. You know what I mean? Like for me, this is the more interesting story. Is Quint dealing with with the government, Bubba Smith's character, Johnson, also kind of like racing against, maybe racing its time against against Ringer. That's the kind of shit that I sort of wish they elaborated more on. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I see what you're saying. Uh, the main villain, quote unquote, is not really the main villain in the movie. Yeah, it's but but yeah 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 yeah. But again, again, there's there's a lot of. St- a lot of fun in this movie, so don't take everything that I'm saying as like total negatives. It's just you know just my observation on having seen the movie only twice, you know. Oh, and there's some fun coming up in one particular scene, mm. but we'll get to that. Hey, everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody, I'm Tim, and I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> and now, back to the show. Okay, so from here you cut to the outside of the Betsy. I love that name, by the way. It's such a random fucking name of a cool club that yeah. looks like a like a fucking dining hall when they actually get in there. Yeah. It's not very cool looking from <laughs> no. what they show. 
But <clears throat> Billy, Tyke, and Earl are showing off their car to two older gentlemen and a woman. You'll find out who the uh, gentleman is later. He's a doctor of something, but you just don't know yet what it is. Billy's kind of pontificating on how great the car is. Earl is as well. Uh, Billy says that Earl used to be the number three man at NASA. And then Earl's kind of trying to be more modest about it. And Billy and Earl's like, that's enough. Now, look, after the Mars project was canceled, I started to work on my own stuff. And I always had an interest in alternative fuels. And then the gentleman they're talking to goes, a hydrogen compound? And Earl goes, not a compound, doctor. Hydrogen split off from water. Ordinary tap water. The converter's right here in the engine. And the, and the man they're talking to goes, it's like science fiction, no? A jet car? And then Earl says, even the body's unique. It's made out of Kevlar. The same material they use for bulletproof vests. And so that's, now you that's know important, that this, you know. It's important, and you know that this car can run on water, basically. And not going to lie, again, I feel like they sort of buried the lead. I feel like if there was a car that was straight up running on tap water like this, this movie should have been about... Like, like, this movie should have been a cross-country road trip with multiple people chasing after this car because it's it's such a prototype. I mean, like, like I think the backstory for the nice guys was about basically uh, someone stealing the plans for a new catalytic converter for GM or something like that. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Which, which, because that's such a mundane thing that you and I don't really, we don't care about the catalytic converter in our cars, but... At one point in time, that was a high high tech piece of machinery, and the fact well, that well they get stolen all the time in Santa Monica, so <laughs> and there you go. But the <laughs> fact that like this car runs on on water, I feel like that's the story right there, and I feel like yeah. we should have had multiple parties trying to get it as they were getting from point A to point B. Now I think that would have been a more expensive movie to make than this one. And that's probably why it, it didn't go that route, but yeah. it's almost, I mean, they mentioned the water aspect of this car and everything, but it's not really that big of a deal to the whole story. It's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's interesting. Um, because when this car will get snatched soon, the, the main villain doesn't even want it. Doesn't even care about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an afterthought. Exactly. Well, it's not even he didn't even want it to begin with because he says we don't we don't collect trophies. We're a business. And it was yeah. Nina collecting a trophy. So, yeah, it's it's weird because then the mo the car, the movie is about the car. But then the villain doesn't even care about the car. It's a it's a weird no. premise to carry you through a uh, hundred minutes. If you could run on water, <laughs> if you were built with bulletproof materials, you could get Linda Hamilton to dream of you and ride on your dipstick. <clears throat> this is okay. a very musical episode. It sure is. Okay, anyways. <laughs> uh, yeah, so now we know runs on water, Kevlar. And Billy the, Ke and the Kevlar will come into play at the end of the movie. But so this is when you were mentioned earlier, this is the tightness of this script, though. This yeah. is the stuff that really works, though. It's good shit. It's good mm -hmm. shit. Billy walks over to the valet guy, gives him money and says, keep an eye on the car. At the same time, Nina walks up uh, wearing a horrible black wig and like black is definitely not a good 
hair color for Linda Hamilton at no. all. No, you're and, right. I noticed that as well. Right? She approaches Billy in the black moon. Billy goes, she's a beauty, isn't she? And Nina goes, oh, fabulous. And he goes, uh, she asks if, if it's her, if it's his. And he goes, well, I drive her. And he goes, yeah, I'm a, profession- I'm a professional, you see. And I could tell you, and I'm not just saying this, that this here car is the single most sensational thing on wheels since the turbo. And Nina goes, wow, can I see her? And he goes, oh, yeah. You do a whole lot hell more than that. <laughs> Your Dan Shore is now turning into Crazy Cooter from Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> crazy Cooter coming at you sideways. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and uh, thank you, Aaron, for my Crazy Cooter's Garage t-shirt. I appreciate oh, it. And uh, She's such a good gift she, giver. She I can tell great. you, she's a great patron and a great friend and a great gift giver and a great podcast she does called Manic Movie Monday Podcast. You guys should check it out. Yeah. We're on it, or I'm on it, and Corey's going to be on it. I'm, I'm going to be on it now that my life, uh, as of today, literally got infinitely easier than it has been for the past three months. Uh, guys and gals, we are recording this November 1st. Uh, the house, my father's house, closed uh, yesterday, and so it's officially in the, the name of the new buyers today. Uh, this has been the last three months of my life, the most stressful three months of my life, and it's finally done, and maybe that's why we're singing so much tonight, because I feel like the biggest fucking boulder has been lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, you, you, you're going to feel like Quint does in a little bit after he got his ass kicked, and that's how you're feeling throughout the month. <laughs> that's Yes, you are 100% correct. That is how I felt up until two days ago. Yes, and then the ending of the movie, well, he still kind of feels like shit in the end of the movie, <laughs> but we'll get there. So congratulations, and if you want to hear more about that, check out Wrap Up After Dark, because it's a good story. That's right. <clears throat> Thank you. Just sign up to our Patreon now. At the same time, Quint pulls up in a sweet, what I thought was a Dodge Daytona, but it's like a Dodge Turbo, Turbo Z or something. I fucking love that car. I don't know why. It's a very boxy looking car, but it's so dope. He drives up in this thing and he walks towards the Betsy and he bumps into Nina. And I guess this is like post her talking to Billy. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm with you too, by the way, I like this car uh, that he drives. Again, I don't know if it's something he stole or if it is his, I'm going to assume all his cars are stolen. Um, So that's just my takeaway, but I think this is a really cool fucking car. I agree. I agree. He's got good taste. So they bump into each other and they kind of, they kind of exchange glances and he's into her. She's into him. There's magic going to happen later in about 29 minutes. There's uh, magic that was written into the script that is not felt by both parties uh, on screen. No, <laughs> no. I mean, look, he's cool. Quint is cool looking, but I wouldn't say he's sexy. He's no. just cool looking. Yeah. Uh, as Quint walks towards the Betsy, Nina walks into her car. And she pulls out a gigantic 80s cell phone. <laughs> I, I, I noted that, too. I said, that was hell of a phone. It's hilarious because she she calls in. She goes, "I want an order to go," and I'm like, "Is she gonna order a pizza?" I I, I did not like like see this coming. Like, what's gonna transpire here? No, it's and it's cool. It's really cool. But when like when it's happening and like I'm watching it like with her calling, I'm like, I don't know what's happening at all here. Yeah, guys, guys and gals, and everybody in between. If you've never seen this movie pause that in you're interested so far because because we're breaking it down masterfully pause this podcast and go watch it watch the movie because we're going to spoil a lot of shit right now i have a feeling a lot of people have not seen this and they're interested in it so please as 2xl would say please pause this program now and then we'll come back to it 
<laughs> Give you a pause. And now welcome back. No, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, she pulls out her cell phone. She goes, I want to order to go. And there's a guy on the other line that says, you're only on stakeout. And she goes, no, it's too ripe. And the guy says, stand by. Cut back to Quint. And he's at the Black Moon. And he's trying, trying to open the red panel that uh, Tyke closed earlier where the banana hammock parachute pack is. But it won't open. He goes, uh, the, the car is on a, you know, a trailer. And he jumps up onto the trailer to look in the sunroof of the car. And a valet walks over and goes, excuse me, can I help you? And Quint goes, hell of a car. Yes, sir, hell of a car. Better keep an eye on it. Walks off. <laughs> Cut back to Nina. This is so tough, by the way, because we have a neighbor named Nina. And so I'm so used to fucking calling her Nina. And I'm like, it's Nina. Cut back to Nina in her car. And she says, she hears the guy on the other line say, you have approval. 20 minutes. And she gets out of the car so interesting knowing now where this goes because it's cool it, it's it because this is a whole like system and setup and a, mm-hmm. and a you know a, a very, routine like a thing like a very high tech like thing that's gonna happen it's we're like not high tech but like highly organized and uh yeah almost something out of a comic book to be honest with you yeah it's very cool very cool cut back to the betsy the interior of the betsy which looks like a very boring dining hall. Um, but the Billy, Tyke, and Earl are sitting at the table with the people they were lo- with at the car earlier. One of them is named Dr. Mulatto. Not Mulatto, but Mulatto. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> and then uh, Earl says, now let us be frank. And I was waiting for someone to say, okay, I'm frank. Ah. <laughs> it's it's Airplane Part 2, which, by the way, that actor was in Airplane yep. Part 2. yep. Uh, and he says, you know, I appreciate your interest that your company has shown in the black moon, but being an American, I would like to give an American manufacturer the chance. Oh, that's very patriotic. And Mulatto says, but I understand you have not so much encouragement from your American companies. And Earl says, well, I wouldn't say that. And he goes, no, no. As you say, let's be frank. Your black moon is a fascinating prototype, but it is still a prototype. Much more testing is necessary. My engineers will be here on Friday, in three days. They have seen the reports, and they will look and decide. If they say yes, I will make my offer a substantial offer. The rest is up to you. So again, three days from now, Friday, the same day that Johnson needs that cassette tape by. Both on a timeline. It's fucking great. I love that. I love when things are on a timeline. Also, too, as much uh, shitting I, I do on the cinematographer, uh, this scene was cool because they have a nice little circular dolly around the table. They, this could have been a very boring dialogue scene, but they actually spruced it up. It's the best thing the DP does in this entire movie to, to spruce up a, a bo- what would have been a super boring visual scene. It's the best DP you'll get in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Probably best DP I'll get all night. Oh, well, you can, yeah. Sure. Uh, suddenly a man approaches a mulatto and whispers in his ear. He says, excuse me. And the man, and then suddenly mulatto says, it seems I must go. You'll arrange for Friday. And Earl says, of course, doctor. Bueno. 
And he, and then he goes, and, and so they start to kind of get ready to leave too. And he goes, no, 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 please enjoy, enjoy. Buena notte. So he's Italian. And I was doing like a fucking Russian accent earlier or whatever. What am I, a goddamn voice actor? <laughs> oh, shit. Anyways, uh, Billy, after they leave, Billy says, allow me to propose a toast to the best designer in the mechanic in the whole damn world. Crazy good coming in sideways. At the same time, you see Quint watching, and he's walking towards the bar. Nina's sitting there having a drink, and there's a dude next to her. And the dude is talking to her, and he's like, so what do you like? Tell me. And then Quint sits down next to the two of them. So he's on one corner of the table, and the dude is on the other corner. They're literally a foot away from each other. Yeah. But He's then, like up in his fucking biz. I would yeah. be like, dude, what do you, you got a problem? But, but then, but then it becomes a thing where Linda, where Nina is looking at Quint and replying to the other guy. But it's like one of those, it's like a double, it's like for both of them. Do you know what I mean? Like you well, you'll, you'll go. We'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So she's kind of, she's looking at Quint cause they have made eye contact earlier in the movie. And the guy's like, So he's looking at her and he goes, I think you like action. And Nina goes, really? And the dude goes, it's right there, right there in your eye. And she goes, is it? He goes, I bet, I bet when you walked in here, you thought I wouldn't mind meeting someone new and interesting tonight. And Nina goes, I never mind meeting someone new and interesting. But she's looking at Quint when she says that. That's right. And then the dude goes, do you live around here? And she goes, why? He goes, what would you say if I told you I'd like to take you home and fuck your brains out? Jesus. I feel <laughs> so goes, bad for women I'd in say the you're, 80s. I'd say, she goes, I'd say you're in for a long and lonely night. This sound, this may sound preposterous what this dude did to her, but this is fucking, this fucking tracks. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, any, any female listener listening to our program, you guys know men are fucking gross. And just like, there are some dudes who have big dick energy with little small peepees and they just like put it out there to you. So what he does kind of tracks. Yeah. And, uh, he's played by Stanley DeSantis. Uh, he kind of, I think he always kind of plays this character, but, uh, most of our listeners will probably know him as uh, Dr. Burke from the original Candyman movie. Uh, he was also oh. in rush hour as an FBI agent and whatnot, but I think he always plays like a smarmy kind of guy, you know? Well, well good for him. Good yeah. for him for getting jobs. Good for him. He passed away in 2005 at the age oh. of 52. Not a good run. <laughs> Definitely not a good run. Beep, beep. <laughs> so, uh, no offense. No offense. As oh. Rodney Dangerfield would say. Well, it's funny you say that because he's, he's from Long Island, this, this actor. So that is kind of perfect. you know. Oh, well, there you go. So Quint's looking at all, Quint is looking at all this unfold and he's got a big smirk on his face. And the dude goes, well, you can't blame me for trying, huh? No, you can blame him for being a douche. And Nina gets up and (laughs) being a piece of shit. And Nina gets up from the table and before she walks off, she goes, I never blame anyone for trying. And she walks off. Again, looking at Quint when she says it, thus kind of sort of giving him like an invitation to... To hit on her, you know? Yeah, totally. She's she's inviting it. And the dude goes, girls are so neurotic. They don't even know what they want anymore. But at the same time, another woman approaches where Nina was sitting. And he goes, oh, hello. <laughs> and he, like, fucking starts to lay in on her, which will it, there, there'll be a callback. It's coming back to that. Yep, all the same lines. <laughs> yeah. Cut to the exterior of the Betsy. 
and there's a dude in a van that drives up, gets out and the gives his keys to the valet guy and he goes, I'll just be a minute. Suddenly the valet guy gets in the car. Another guy pops out of the uh, back of the van and pulls a gun out. And he kind of like looks like he either hits him or is supposed to shoot him. But the guy who's driving like flails like a fucking dummy and just falls over. It's a very awkward scene. And it's actually really hilarious because he barely taps the guy and suddenly the guy's knocked out. Yeah, I have a very similar scene near the end of the movie where Quint uh, shoots that one uh, security guard in the neck with the like the trank thing or something. And as the guy's yeah. going down, he's like twitching and everything. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you killed him, Quint. You killed him. Um, my my takeaway. Well, it was experimental. It was. My takeaway here uh, is that I don't think they killed anybody. I think if you're going to steal a car, the moment you kill somebody, you bring it to a different level and you bring down too much heat. Um, I'm just world building here. I think they have explicit instructions not to kill anybody. That being said, I don't know why no one's wearing a mask here. And that pauses on purpose. I don't know either. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so, <laughs> so as this is happening, cuts back to the bar and the dude is laying in on the same old shit. I think you like action. It's right there, right mm -hmm. in your eyes. Cut back to the exterior. And now Nina is overseeing this basically this hall of, uh, you know, taking all of the cars, all this big heist of all the uh, she approaches the valet guy and she goes, I'll take the keys to the Rolls Royce, the Excalibur, the blah, 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 blah. Cut yeah, back to Quint. The thing is, you don't like, I don't know if we've really stressed it too much, but yes, it's a ritzy place, but there's also insane cars in in that parking lot there. It's not like freaking people drawing Honda Civics or something like that. These are insane cars. And yeah, uh, and, and as this is unfolding, I'm like, this is fucking cool. Okay, okay. I'm on board for this. I wasn't expecting any of this. Yeah, because it's alluded to when Quint earlier said that the Betsy's too much of a high roller place, yeah. you know, can't afford it. And so while this is going on, you're cutting. It's a it's a comedic scene because you're cutting back to the dude who's spitting his game on another woman. You know, I bet when you walked in here, you thought I wouldn't mind meeting someone new and interesting tonight. And you cut back to Nina take, talking, still talking to the valet. I'll take the Ashton Martin and the two Mercedes. And I felt like I was thinking of um, Caddyshack where the kid's like, I want a hot dog. I don't want a milkshake. You got nothing and like it. <laughs> Cut back to Quint and at the bar. And the guy's like, what would you say if I said I'd like to take you home and cut back to <laughs> suddenly cut back to the entrance of the Betsy and one of the thieves is putting a padlock and a cable around the front door and locking the door so no one can get out. Quint has finally left the bar with his beer and he's walking to a window on what appears to be the second floor of the restaurant. He looks out the window and he sees that the thieves are stealing all the cars. He rushes out of the restaurant, knocking into a Mater D. The Mater D looks out the window and goes, they're stealing the cars. <laughs> Everyone Everybody goes into a panic. Chaos. Yeah. <laughs> it's ca ca chaos. It's chaos. Goddamn chaos. The phones are dead. Uh, no one can get out. Quint takes a chair, throws it at one of the windows, breaking the window, jumps out the window onto a, one of the thieves' vans, and then you cut to back to Nina and goes, well, that's it. Uh, thank you for your help. And, uh, and then she says to her men, put him somewhere safe. 
Nina gets inside of the black moon and starts turning it on, like knowing how to do everything, by the way. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It's an experimental car and she can do fucking everything. That's cool. Yeah, no, that's my note for for that little part. You know, she jumps right in. First off, not a big fan with the open, perpetually open sunroof on the black moon. (laughs) It's experimental. Uh, Especially later when Tommy Lee Jones' giant fucking forehead is sticking out of the top of it. But, um, yeah, Nina jumps. What are you talking about, man? (laughs) Nina jumps in. Fires that fucker up like she knows what she's doing. There's no keys, guys. It's just buttons like a fucking jet or something. And she knows how to do it. But I was like, you know what? That's fine. I'm fine with this. I'm not I'm not going to harp on this right here. Because, again, Nina's my favorite character in the in the movie. So I'm totally cool with what with what her knowledge base is here. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. And I'm totally on board, too. She takes off. Quint gets in his car and he takes off. And this starts a five minute plus car chase scene so i started thinking back man i know that we we've talked about the car i know that we've talked about the wraith and i was like watching this chase scene and i was like i think this might be my favorite pad chase scene that we've reviewed so far the sense of speed is great uh i think they do a great job with the the black moon here but i also think they do an equally great job with uh quince car but more specifically the camera work here is great maybe this is how the dp got the job maybe this is what the dp is kind of good at and unfortunately it's it's only one of a few high-octane chase scenes in this movie, you know, I feel like there should be more if they're, especially if they're done this well. Um, But for me, this whole scene is probably the highlight of the movie for me right here. Or one Yeah, I think maybe that's one of the complaints people often have with this movie is like, there's so, there's, there's so many different kind of, there's three big plots going on, maybe even four plots going on at the exact same time. And they don't give enough time to one or the other to really dig deeper into it. Maybe they should have cut out one of the plots to focus more on the, you know, the the other two. Yeah. Like they could cut out the whole angle with, uh, I don't know, uh, Billy, Tyke, and Earl, you know, and make it just about her wanting that or or maybe giving a little bit more depth to why she wanted that car in particular yeah yeah except it just instead of just being a trophy yeah and i still think it should just been a a point a to point b uh road trip movie uh chase movie with multiple parties wanting to to get a hold of this car because of the it runs on water like that's fucking huge but um anyways you mean that, you mean the Cannonball Run? How yeah, about that? I, I, which a movie I actually do like as well. I'm a I'm a sucker for point A to point B movies. Uh, fucking Mad Max Fury Road. Um, yeah. But uh, but anyways, back back to this awesome awesome chase scene, guys and gals. Uh, if you've never seen this movie, this is the scene I would recommend watching the movie for. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And so, uh, Quint at one point starts to lose track of her because Nina hits the boosters on the car in one of the downtown LA tunnels and she takes off and loses Quint. And that's such a cool shot of her just blasting through the tunnel. You know, I, I love that as well. She kind of like stalls out a little bit in front of it, but then ignites the booster and then just wow, shoots right down the tunnel. It's really, really fucking cool. It's really badass, but I like the next sequence because Quint continues to follow after her. She pulls her car into a 
big rig trailer truck and uh, you think she's gone. But Quint drives down the same road that she had previously been on and he listens for the sound of a big rig starting its engine. And immediately he recognizes that's that's where he needs to head, which is cool because it's like he's smart. You know, he knows where to go. Yeah. Follows the big rig all the way to two high-rise towers, which are the Ryland Towers, which you'll find out very soon. As the truck pulls into the towers, it's like on the lower kind of basement level, parking level of the towers of one of them. It goes into a, uh, it drives towards a cement wall, which opens up. It's a hidden wall that leads into the, basically the chop shop operation of, uh, of the chop shop operation. That's really cool. I really like the hidden, uh, door thing. I think that's really awesome. It's very cool. Quint was kind of parked outside originally, uh, but, but makes his way in and, you know, sneaks into the, the underground area goes to the wall and he's kind of feeling it to look around and looks down and he sees motor he sees motor oil on the ground realizing that it's a trick wall and then he sees a camera above the wall and looks up at the camera and puts his hands on his hips looks very menacingly at the camera which this will come back to this menacing look later in the movie it's a cool shot of uh Tommy Lee Jones too yeah he looks very badass he does he does looks like a comic book character actually he did. Not going to lie, this movie feels very comic booky. Yeah, uh, you know, this was a time when I was like at the probably the height of my comic book reading. Okay. So when I sit, I mentioned this in Tough Turf, I'm like, oh man, James Spader would have great, played a great Matt Morgan. And I'm Matt looking Murdoch. at Tommy Lee, Matt, sorry, Matt Murdock, thank you. And, uh, and I'm looking at Matt Morgan's a professional wrestler. And, um, looking at Tommy Lee Jones and I'm like, he would have been playing a great Nick Fury back in the day, you know? Yeah, I'm with you on that, dude. He, I think he would have been an awesome Nick Fury. Yeah, but they blew it and gave it to David Hasselhoff. <laughs> oh, well. Anyways, um, cut from there back to the Betsy. And this is a really funny moment, too. So the police have uh, taped everything off. Everybody's, uh, they're investigating the, the, the theft that just took place, the heist, the hijack. And uh, people are all around the tape. And Quint walks up behind one woman and like taps her on the shoulder and she gives like this oh and he like sneaks around her and goes under the tape which is really f- funny it's super random it's just cute but, but kind of cool though like i like oh, how he cool. kind of slips right past the cops and everything and of yeah. course i do love and you're gonna elaborate on it but i love how he just happens to be there right at the perfect time where uh <laughs> the guys are talking about very important information about the black moon but that that's fine that's just movie movie stuff right there you know <laughs> yeah so coincidentally he just <laughs> happens to walk slowly past uh billy tyke and earl who are telling a police officer uh, that they have an experimental car. It's called the Black Moon. Uh, there's only one of these. Uh, and the cop's like, yeah, yeah, we lose cars all the time. And he's like, look, no, th- this is an important car, and you need to find it. And, and, the, cop, and the cop's like, we lose 3,000 cars a day. I'm like, wow, that's fucking terrible police work. <laughs> Welcome to fucking L.A., people. <laughs> yep. And meanwhile, Quint continues to walk around. And suddenly Johnson and the dude in the suit, the uh, I'm just going to call him dude in the suit. That's, that should be up. little Johnson, big Johnson, the little Johnson. <laughs> there you go. Little Johnson. We'll call him little. Who's actually a pretty tall guy was, too. But. I was going to say he's actually quite tall though. <laughs> yeah. We'll call him BJ. Um, Johnson walks up to Quint and says, you're a little late. 
And Quint goes, oh, I was here. I left. <laughs> and then suddenly Johnson just takes no shit and throws him up against the police car, which is really fucking funny because when he does, uh, Quint like kind of slides down the police car a little bit. Like he's like, oh, like it hurt. You know? uh, yeah. Quint, Quint gets very hurt in this movie. <laughs> which I appreciate and love, too. Because he sells it really well. Yeah, he does. Keeps, you know, he looks like he's in pain. Yeah. And Johnson says, where's the cassette? Quint goes, somebody stole it. And Johnson's like, somebody stole it, huh? And Quint goes, mm-hmm. I'll get it back for you. I need some help. And Johnson's like, that's not the way it happens. Quint goes, it is now. And Johnson says, you motherfucker. You, let me tell you something. You got no help, no nothing. What you got is exactly 72 hours to lay that cassette in my hand. If you don't, I'm going to take all that heat that comes down on my head and I'm going to transfer it to your body. You understand what I'm saying? Three days. Friday morning, be in touch. And he start starts to walk away. Quint goes, hey, what about my money? <laughs> and fucking Bubba Smith... <laughs> Backhand punches him in the stomach. Oh, it's great! Been fucking not like t- knocks the wind out of him, but it's not even like a, a real punch. It's like a backhanded punch, and I I loved it. I was like, it's yeah. He he gets Quint gets fucked up during this entire fucking movie. Quint gets fucked up and he gives it, and the stage fighting is so over the top. Which makes it great, yeah. in my opinion, because yeah. there are some moments that are coming up that rival they lives fight scene, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, no, they, there's opinion. there's some good fights coming up. <laughs> yeah. So and then after he hits him, he Johnson gets really close and he goes, "Don't fuck with the government." <laughs> I wrote I that, that line down. I thought that was funny. <laughs> so great. And so Quint stumbles over to Billy, Tyke, and Earl, who look very depressed. And he's, he's like he's slumped over. He's like, "How would you gentlemen like to get your car back?" Cut to a hotel. I'm assuming um, with Quint, who's got Billy and Earl, uh, which coincidentally it just happens to be across the street from the two towers, the Ryland Towers. Yeah, and I think that is a hotel because I sometime you see like two beds in there or whatever. So I, I tracked it as a hotel. Whenever yeah, I at first notes. I was like, is this an apartment? Oh, no. It's, yeah, that makes sense that it's a hotel. Yeah. Uh, and then Earl says, it's, it's like they're in mid-conversation. Earl says, now, what if you, now, if what you say is true, we have to contact the police. Quint's like, well, what are they going to do? And Earl goes, look, mister, I don't have any idea what your problems may be, but and Quint goes, there's nothing they can do. There's no proof. Just my word. Look at those towers over there. Mm-hmm. This is a huge operation, gentlemen. This must have gotten ten. They must have got ten cars last night, and that's probably just an average haul. From the looks of that garage, this whole place is a fortress. Yeah, and Quint's Earl right, goes, man. Like the, my my only note here is Quint is a hundred percent correct. Yep, and Earl goes, "Which you can crack," and Quint goes, "Hell yes, I love that." Because he says "Hell yes" a couple times in this movie. Hell yes. Then maybe that's where uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin got "Hell yeah" from. And then Earl go and Earl's like, he's annoyed. He's like, good luck. Goodbye. And they walk out as they start to walk out. And Quint goes, you'll never see that car again, boys. And Billy like looks back at him kind of like nervously cut down to the exterior of yes, the hotel Stillwell, where, uh, Tyke is sitting on the hood of the station wagon car that, that the, the three of them drove the, the black moon on, and he's drinking like a bottle of champagne, looking very sad. 
and Billy's kind of yelling at Earl. He's like, what are we going to tell the police? We didn't see anything. And Earl, and he goes, what if he's right? And then they take off, they get in the car and they drive off. From there, you see a shot of a big rig. I'm assuming it's the same, like the next morning, right? Uh, where Nina's getting out of, so this is, this is a little interesting. It's the next morning, probably. And uh, the scene earlier was in the evening at the Betsy, but Nina's getting out of the truck that has the black moon. It's, it's a little disjointed. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm thinking back on it now. I, I look at my notes here. Yeah. This is the order of it. And yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit off, but okay. Sure. Sure. I give you it know. a pass. Yeah. I give it a pass. Yeah. Total pass. Especially, yeah. but, but time wise, you know, we know at this point, I think we only have about, do we still have three days or is it just two now? Well, this is the next day, right? So I'm assuming two days now. No, no, I'm sorry. Later on, he's going to talk to Iron Mike or Iron Tom, Tommy Iron, uh, the Iron John, the Iron John, yeah, and that, and he says he has three days. So last night was probably just a little bit of a bonus time. It's it's three days starting now. Today's the first day of of the three, um, that, yeah. basically. Is, is my tracking go. of it? Yeah, that, that that makes sense. I'll I'll track your track and I'll give you a track. Okay. Would you like some more tracks with the tracks? <laughs> Would you like it? So Nina uh, gets out gets out of this big rig and and one of the mechanics comes over to her and says Ryland wants you, and they kind of talk back and forth, and then she's starting to walk towards uh, a golf cart, and another guy yells out, "Hey, Ryland's looking for you!" And she's like, "I know, I know." I'm totally annoyed. This is she a, a huge operation. This huge chop operation. Shop. We're talking like, dude, like literally, probably, realistically, fifty people on on this payroll just right here. But this has got like I started thinking like, how do you pay pay these guys? Like everything they're doing is a hundred percent illegal. But they have they have like matching suits. They have name tags on and everything. So it's like so there's a budget for this. These guys are probably getting W-2s, you know what I mean? Like, how, like, but where are they getting these guys from? Like, are they, like, getting them from, like, rehab centers, like maybe car thief rehab centers being like, hey, I'll pay you over here, and then kind of just brings them in. But, again, it kind of comes back to this Cobra idea where it's like, and I don't mean, like, I mean, like, mental sort of, like, like gymnastics that you have to go through being like, Okay, how do all these people get paid? You know what I mean? Like, how do you write this off on your taxes and everything? But, like, back in the day, this is the type of shit that I loved as a kid when I watched these type of movies growing up. I always liked having a big organization like this. But as as an adult, I'm like, what's the logistics on this, you know? <laughs> what, what, what kind of uh, dental plan did these yeah, guys get? Do they have, like, health insurance? Like, what, yeah. you know, what is this? Well, I, 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 a couple things. One, it reminds me, uh, car thievery was a big thing in the 80s, right? That was always a big, I was thinking of the insiders that we talked about on TV Obscura. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. the pilot episode was yep. the car thieves. Um and then I think about the disgruntled uh, uh, auto worker employees who are not getting paid what they deserve. And then they come along and they poach the top guys from the auto industry. Yeah. Yeah. And so then there you go. You're all of a sudden you're making a hundred grand a year. Yeah. You're doing illegal shit, but keep your fucking mouth shut and you'll keep getting paid. You know? Yep. You, you get, you make enough to get out, but they never get out. Right? They, no, you never get out. You never fucking get out. You never get out. Uh, unless you're a, 
Donald, never mind. Um, so <laughs> from there, yeah, N- Nina's driving around in her golf cart, and you're kind of getting a whole layout of the way the chop shop's running. She drives past a red sports car that has a license plate that says C-A-N-T-W-8. Can't wait. <laughs> I didn't and, even notice that. And uh, I, I, the second time I watched it, I'm like, I, gotta, I better write that down because maybe that has some, some significance. Uh, the car is in an elevator, a freight elevator, and gets taken up to a floor where Ryland is with another gentleman and his head of security, which is Luis. Which is played by Nick Cassavetes. I yes. could not figure out the guy he's talking to here. I couldn't figure out who he is on on IMDb, but I like this guy, this other crime boss guy. Yeah, so Ryland is talking to... So you get a layout of this um, showroom, which is still kind of under construction, and Ryland is talking to a Hispanic gentleman who uh, is... Another crime dude, but he doesn't have a name. His name does not get mentioned. Another guy's name gets mentioned, but that guy never, you never see that guy. That guy never shows up in the movie. No, you you, you don't. It's interesting. Ryland is kind of giving a description of the showcase room. He goes, this will be my showcase. Lounge over there, offices, communication centers, complete business facilities. When the second tower is open, the whole complex will be unique. Nothing like it anywhere. And the gentleman he's talking to goes, most impressive. Oh, 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 why am I doing fucking Transylvania? Never mind. And uh, (laughs) Ryland's like, thank you. So what's the problem? And the man goes, well, the problem is you're not delivering what you promised to me. My clients are most particular. They're used to the best. And Ryland goes, well, that's what they're getting. And the gentleman says, ah, most of the cars are damaged. My inspectors have uncovered many flaws. And Ryland says, my people inspect them too. <laughs> That's literally how Ryland talks. Yeah, he he does. He's like, Meh, see? and uh, and the man says, "I'm telling you what is the case." Ryland goes, "Oh, are you?" And the man says, "Are you saying I would lie to you?" And Ryland says, "I was talking with Molina, which we never find out who Molina is." Yeah, I, and the man I goes, thought he was. I thought he was saying Nina. You know, no, Molina. I know, but like, yeah, he's, he's mentioning Molina, and we never oh, even see Nina. Molina. But no, I think I think you're right. I think he's talking about someone else. The first time I watched it, I thought he was referring to Nina, but no, he's talking about Molina. He says that it's very specific, Molina. But yeah. we never find out or we never see who Molina is. No, but according to this man, he goes, "Oh no, no, Molina is a big chico." The man doesn't have a shred of honor. Ese hombre. What does he know? And Ryland says, he thinks you might have difficulties in other areas. <laughs> so basically, they're having this back and forth argument. Um, Ryland says to this man, you owe me money. You owe me $420,000. And the man says, you give me cars I cannot sell. I have no responsibility. And Ryland says, I'm going to collect it one way or another. And the man says, is that a threat? Don't threaten me. I don't fear you. You have many big dreams, but in heart, you're a little man. Chiquito. And holds his fingers up in front of Ryland's face like little, I'm crushing your head type motion. And <laughs> Ryland turns and walks away. I just wanted to say that the, 
this guy, how unimpressed he is with Ryland is how unimpressed I am with Nick Casavetes. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say how unimpressed you are with my impression. Of no, no. Both I, of those love, guys. I love but your yes, impression. Sure. <laughs> no, this is this is how I feel about Nick Casavetes right here. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, Jesus. Well, take it up with him someday. I'm sure we'll have him on. Oh, God. Uh, who knows? And so, yeah, so... Uh, so the man is going to get on an elevator with Luis and takes off. But the man looks at Luis and he's like, why do you work for such a man, huh? And then Ryland kind of looks, smiles, and walks away. Cut to Ryland walking into his office where his secretary says, Mr. Molina called. And he goes, not now. So there's your last reference of Mr. Molina. We'll never hear about Mr. Molina, Mr. Dob Bobolina. Yep. Back to the man, the gentleman. Uh, in, in in the elevator with Luis and he's looking very pleased with himself and Rylan is l- watching them from a video monitor looking very pleased with himself. Luis kind of motions to look up at the video monitor where the man looks up in, and realizes that he's being watched by Rylan. As soon as he does, Luis, who's behind the man, takes out a uh, wire and strangles the man. Yeah, I think after he killed... Yeah, I think it's one of those garrots or something where they got the handle on each side and you can wrap it around, which is one of my favorite Hitman like items. You know, I love I love that. And I like after he kills him, I do like this. Nick Cassavetes, his Luis character, he looks up at the, the screen at the, the camera and he kind of makes the same motion of the same little little man fingers that that. The, the guy was saying about Raylan, he was like, basically, he's looking up at the camera saying this guy was a little man to, to Rylan after he kills him. And I like yep. that. That's my, yeah, this is my favorite Nick Casvetti's scene in the movie. You mean it's more favorite than the final scene where? Yeah, Cazavetti's maybe if Nick Casvetti's didn't blink three times when he uh, when the, he gets hit in the head with the paintball. But we'll <laughs> we'll get to that. Oh, God, I hate you so much. <laughs> okay so anyways we cut from there so that the man is dead we never have to bring him up again cut to a construction site where uh quint is walking up into a the trailer at a construction site which is now a makeshift kind of hospital slash room for iron john who is uh on oxygen he is looking like shit he's basically on death's door but you get the sense that Quint's relationship with this guy, he's like a father figure. I was thinking of the movie Thief, and mm-hmm. I was thinking of James Caan's character in Thief. By the way, Tommy Lee Jones is no James Caan. He's a B-movie version of James Caan. And, uh, but, but the relationship that James Caan's character had in Thief with Willie Nelson's character yeah. in Thief, it's kind of the similar thing, like the old mentor kind of deal. Yeah, and having just watched Thief, Thief, uh, probably for the second time in my life, um, a couple of weeks ago. Oh shit, probably over a month now with my wife. She she loved it. She loved it more than I did, um, which was really awesome. But now, kind of having that in my head and watching this movie here, and it's kind of reigniting my love for thief movies and everything. Yeah, me too. And I do love these tropes, like the the old guy that kind of helped you know that helped you come up and everything like that. And and I like that they don't explain the background here this one of my favorite aspects of this entire movie is how thoughtful um and thought out all the backstories and relationships are for these characters up to uh, you know up to the moment that the movie basically starts the story starts like i feel like 
all of these characters are are fleshed out and and you understand their connections and you understand their backstories even if they don't say it you can feel it and that this is my favorite part of the movie my favorite scene is still that chase scene and everything but this is this is the aspect of the movie that i think it does really well and i really like yeah there's a lot of depth to these guys for sure and uh it's revealed that iron john helped build one of the towers one of the Ryland towers and Quint says he needs the blueprints and he got one set of blueprints, but they're not the full set of blueprints. Uh, Iron John says the, the complex was built over a branch of the sewer system that was sealed off because it was unsafe. Um, they used a lot more foundation material than they needed. This is all stuff that's actually not terribly important, uh, but it's alluding to the fact that there's a lot more going on in these towers than they kind of led on to. Yeah. Iron John says, you know, so so Quint reveals that he needs the floor plans, the real blueprints. And Iron John says, well, there's a guy that has those. His name's French, Emile French. He was the consultant with the security team. Iron John goes, it sounds like you're going in there. And Quint goes, I got three days. And John goes, you got all the time in the world. <laughs> Sucks on oxygen. Yeah, it, he, it gives you a sense that. You know, it, it, that's the that's the thing that tells you that Quint is really good at his job, basically. You know, like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to take away from this. Yeah. From there, you cut back to Ryland Towers, and there's a mechanic kind of inspecting the Black Moon. Nina walks over, and the mechanic says, I've never seen anything like this. And this is where Nina reveals the catalytic converter that breaks down the water. The mechanic says, it runs on hydrogen. And Nina's like, it runs on something. And he says, and the mechanic goes, it's so light. And she's like, yeah, it must be some sort of composite. And then suddenly Rylan approaches and the mechanic takes off. <laughs> Rylan has Luis with him. And Rylan says, interesting machine. What is it? <laughs> Nina goes, it's an interesting machine. <laughs> I, I, I like that response. I actually liked that bit of dialogue. Yeah. Th- this whole scene, this whole sequence is, is great because you immediately know the relationship. Yeah. That, she she he has something over her yes you know, and that's why she's with him nina starts to walk away and rylan goes what am i supposed to do with it and nina goes nothing it's mine and rylan goes i see you're making these decisions now and nina goes just this one and rylan goes good for a moment i thought you were after my job i understand there was a problem last night nina goes what do you mean a guy tried to follow me i lost him and then rylan goes did you and nina goes yes Rylan goes, well, there was a man in the outer garage right after you got in. Coincidence? Nina goes, I lost him. Rylan goes, so it was a coincidence. A car like this attracts a lot of attention. Did you think about that? <laughs> and this is where he says, I think, uh, like, we're in a business. Um, wait, what, is it, what does he say? That we don't get trophies or something? Sorry, shit, I had that. Yeah, so she goes... She goes, I brought in your half your goddamn order. And Quint, and then Ryland says. Yeah, and then Ryland says, this is a business, Nina. We don't take trophies. And I was like, that's cool. I, I, I liked that. That was a little insight into his, his, you know, his thought process and everything. And, yeah, you're getting a lot of character stuff here. You're really seeing the relationship of b- between Ryland and, and Nina. And you'll get more later, and we'll get more backstory on it later. But I, I liked this idea that Ryland's like, we're a business. This is a business transaction. This whole thing's a business. We're not in the business of, of taking trophies, essentially. You know, like, this is going to bring down 
way too much heat on us. He's a, he's more practical than she is. So this scene, what I don't like about this is she she goes, fine, do whatever you want with the car, basically, and storms off, right? And you would think because they don't want heat coming down on them, they would take the car, dump it somewhere, but they don't. They keep it there because nah, that doesn't I'm, track. I don't know. Like that that kind of makes sense to me, man. Like, like, yes, you have something that is clearly very conspicuous, but they they, they kind of lock it up in a little spot because, like, at the same time, it's something also very valuable, and I don't think that he okay. would just throw that amount of value away so easily. Yeah, no, that's good. I I, I hear you. I, okay. I, okay, fine. You win. Okay. <laughs> that, that was easy. <laughs> yeah. And so Ryland's looking in quite a car, quite a car. Cut back to uh, Quint now at the hotel across the street, looking at the towers from his apart with from his room with binoculars. He's surveying the ground. He's taking notes. He's writing down. Uh, he writes down guards sensors cameras and underlines the cameras cut back to the chop shop and nina's looking at the black moon now in a fenced off area and she says to Luis, why is the car in there and Luis doesn't answer her at first and she goes i asked you a question and Luis goes ask mr rylan which is in a, like a terrible New York accent. And he does like like a, a drag on his cigarette, and he's looking all cool. He is chewing up scenery, man. Every every chance fucking seven-foot Casavetes can chew up scenery, he does. But always, that face, it's so smooth, so has never been punched, meaning like I can't accept him as like a bad guy when you're so pretty in the face and you have like no scars no nothing you know what i mean yeah i mean the casting of of casavetes is it it doesn't fit it almost like you would want it the other way around where rylan like looks very i no no you what you want is a grizzled guy you want a guy who's been around the block who knows his shit you, you want you want uh uh ving uh what's his name uh, uh marvin Mr. marvin yeah you want marvin as as Casavetti's character as Luis, yeah. And I would even take Casavetti's as Raylan. I, I would prefer uh what's his name playing I would just take Casavetti's out. But if you had to shuffle people around, that could be a way to do it. You're like, I could take Casavetti's out any day. I could take him out any day. Any <laughs> <laughs> any fucking day guy. So from there from there, Nina wants to leave she gets in her car and she takes off out of the garage she gets to the garage door and she asks security uh to open the the gate basically the wall this is a and suddenly what's that this is a cool ass scene this is a cool yeah this is a cool scene Ryland suddenly is on the monitor or on the overhead uh speaker and he goes where are you going and nina's like jesus christ out he's like i want to see you (laughs) didn't you just see her like 10 minutes ago and, and she goes, later. And he goes, now. And she goes, no. <laughs> and so she reverses her car because he won't open the gate. And she fucking floors it. She goes back maybe, I don't know, 50, 60 feet. And then she peels out. And she starts driving towards the entrance, uh, starts driving towards the wall that should open up. She floors it. Ryland's yelling at her, you know, don't make me do this. Nina, stop. Don't do this. Don't do this. What are you doing? And she goes, I won't stop. And she and he goes, I won't open it. I won't open it. 
She gets closer and closer to the gate. Finally, he pushes the button right before she hits the wall. The gate opens super fast and she drives out maybe like inches before she hit the wall and her car would would have exploded. But she peels out and takes off and lets out a big sigh of relief as she leaves. That was another awesome ass scene, dude. Cool scene. And very good editing because when she just misses that that door, it's awesome, dude. It's it you you sense it. You feel it. And again, the director, the DP, the editor, they are firing on all cylinders anytime there's car stuff in this movie. It's just a shame the car stuff is about 35 to 40% of it. Like I wish it was more. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. I totally hear you. Um, they what they what they capture, the impactful moments are impactful though, which is yeah, good. Exactly, and they they work very. Like this scene here works very well. Yeah, she drives out of of the towers. Quint is outside of the towers in his car. She spots Quint, but the, kind of dismisses him and drives off with a kind of like a sexy smirk on her face. He follows. She drives to a loft kind of apartment building. Uh, and, and and this, I just want to call out because I actually really like this shot. So yeah. the camera is yeah, like, a, cool. it's like across the street um, at a parking lot, like a like way across the street from where she is. So the scene, you know, this shot starts with, with Nina kind of stopping in front of this loft apartment thing to get out. You see um, uh, Quint's car drive by, but it's almost nonchalant it's it's you almost don't even notice it camera never moves it's it's a one it's a stationary shot one cut doesn't edit or anything like that and then as nina gets out of her car and goes into the apartment like tommy lee jones parks his car right next to the camera so that just the tires are and then it kind of transitions and him sort of watching her and everything but the, the blocking of this one shot the blocking of it superb like masterful fantastic yeah. yeah it looks really good see you're selling it more than you think you are <laughs> and then so he's wait he's watching outside he's uh you know he's on a stakeout basically uh the 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 day goes to night he's now asleep but she comes out of her apartment building loft place because it's a loft uh, and gets in another car, a white like Mercedes that's parked in front of the building. I think it's a Rolls Royce because he a mentions it later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she gets in her Rolls and starts to drive off. He's awoken by that and he follows her. Suddenly you cut to a nightclub where Nina is enjoying a drink at the bar and Quint walks into the dance club bar. And we get, oh gosh, guys and gals, half the fun of watching movies from this era, 1986, just in this scene right here, just all the 80s hair and fashion, just, I love it, love it. It's so great, and I want to quickly roll back to when Quint was uh, staking out her place because the, this, this, these three 80s people walk down the street, full on 80s neon, like, yeah. you know, club scene look. And he kind of gives like a, a toodaloo kind of yeah. wave to them. It's really funny because, you know, just kind of flirty high to them. It's really he, cute. He, he gives a little TTFN, you know? He does. When he goes to the club, I'm like, he's the most, he sticks out like a sore thumb because yeah. he doesn't fit the 80s, you know, new wave dance scene look that they have going on in there. No, because the mo for the most part, he's wearing like 
All you, black. All black, like black jeans, black black shoes, and like a, a leather jacket with, of course, giant, giant shoulder pads. Uh, but it's all black. And he's a thief. So, I mean, that, that kind of works. But, yeah, he kind of also is, is a sort of a, a man out of time here, you know, where everyone yes. else is is so contemporary and he's just just wearing head to toe black essentially and the song that's playing is it it doesn't sound like it's a that great of a song but the the main kind of chorus to the song is sleeping with the enemy my note right here says i like the song quote unquote says sleeping with the enemy i enjoyed this song i thought it was a okay. little ditty i had a good time with it yeah it's <laughs> but, fun it, but it's i did no, pick up uh, on the lyrics i did pick up on the lyrics being very pertinent to the story it's not our strongest song we've had on a, a show, but it's definitely a good one. It's it's no it's uh, neon slime. It's no uh, bump, bump in the, in the night. night. <laughs> That's still my favorite out of all of our songs. Oh my god, it's a banger! Um, <laughs> so Quint approaches Nina. She looks at them. They kind of have like an exchange back and forth, and then Nina leaves. She goes to get in her car. Suddenly, Quint walks out and he says hi, and she goes, "Where are you going?" And Quint goes, "Downtown," and she says fine suddenly they're in the car together <laughs> and and by the way i love seeing all the the dtla stuff you know in this movie and everything yeah yeah i love it too and then they're kind of having a back and forth very like lame exchange because you know what they're going to get to in just a minute because uh it's just small talk you know he's like my dad had a Studebaker. he loved it and she goes and she's like, oh, how about that? She basically super dismissive to everything he says. Oh, oh, maybe maybe that was a Studebaker then and not a Rolls Royce. My my bad. Guys and gals, I, I don't know my super rich cars. <laughs> Sorry, excuse, excuse me. I drive a me. Honda Civic. <laughs> I, I, drive drive a, f- I drive a fucking uh, a Dodge Dart, guys. <laughs> guys and gals. <laughs> excuse me. I drive a Ford Taurus and I deliver newspapers in it. <laughs> that I'm, was... Uh, Shout out to my San Jose Mercury News peeps in the Bay Area. <laughs> and I should note uh, that my Dodge Dart is a 2013. We're not talking like a cool Dodge Dart from back in the 70s. I had a 66 Dodge Dart. I love that car. I bet you did. I, I do not love mine. <laughs> I know you don't. You have a history with that bad boy. Um, but, but Quint's like, you like cars, don't you? And she goes, nice ones. He goes, well, some friends of mine had a nice car. Real, very special one. Got stolen. And she's like, oh, that's too bad. And then Quinn says, well, they're hoping to get it back. And she goes, what will they do, your friends? Quinn goes, I don't know. They're trying to decide. But there's not much time. And she's like, hmm, I know how that is. And he's like, you got any ideas? Me? Why? And Quinn goes, meh, just making conversation. Must be a way. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like this is the scene that was very apparent that Linda Hamilton hated Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> I know. It's kind of like you don't sense any sexual tension at all. It's more just like, I'm taking you. I'm your fucking Uber driver. I'm taking you to your destination. Don't talk to me. <laughs> when I was a Lyft driver, I behaved just like Nina right there. I don't blame her. From there, you cut to a old VHS video of uh, Nina looking much younger because she has a baseball cap on her head. <sighs> okay. Oh, putting a baseball cap on someone (laughs) makes them look young. So, oh, God. Yeah, I have so many problems with this, but I'll say them at the end. So just tell it and then give me a second. So so Rylan is watching this video. It's an old video of Nina. And and he's he basically is filming her. And she's like, well, what do you want me to say? And she and he goes, this is for me uh, for you. Where's your family? She's asking him 20 questions. And she's like, I don't know. Where's yours? 
He goes, you're not in contact with them? She goes, yeah, right. He goes, so you're alone here. When I want to be, try to relax. We're just talking. I know. Where did you learn to handle a car? Boyfriend. Other than that, he was a jerk. Well, you're very good. Yeah, I got a great future. You say that like you don't believe it. Yeah, I do. I'm special. And you noticed. As a matter of fact, I did. Everyone does. <laughs> and that's the end of that scene. So later on, you know, you find out that Rylan kind of, you know, took her under his wing. She used to like live in like a burned out like like movie theater or hotel or something he mentions. And I'm watching this scene and I'm like, Linda Hamilton's playing it like she's younger. But she so clearly looks the exact same. She looks the same. Exact same age. And then, and she's kind of like, you can tell she's playing it like a kid. But then they're like, you know what? We'll, um, we'll put a baseball cap on her. That'll be, that'll be good. But she's got like no dirt on her face, like whatsoever. And dude, I get what they were trying to do with this. I really do. I get what the point of it. She should have been chewing gum. It was so laughably bad. Give her gum. That that it completely (laughs) took me out of it. Like, just dirty up her face a little bit. Do something to make her look like like she's homeless. It just, it unfortunately, it did the op, it it took away from the movie. Like, if I could literally cut one thing from the movie, it would be this, because I think we could still get the same information just from dialogue, and I think that this little scene hurt the movie more than it helped it. Yeah, he could be grabbing her and physically like saying these things to her later. Exactly. And now a scene we definitely know Corey would not want to omit from (laughs) the movie. The love scene. Yeah! (laughs) Which starts out very awkwardly because Nina is crying. Yeah, God, again, (laughs) see see behind the scenes, I don't know, but... It's not a. It's not great. I had a buddy. I have a close friend. I won't say his name, but he. I remember when he told me once that he dated a girl that cried when they were intimate, and I'm like, well, "What'd you do?" He goes, "It only bothered me the first couple of times, but I got used to it." I'm like, "Oh my god, oh god." <laughs> Oh, it's very awkward. The scene is very awkward. I, I mean, it's a love scene. It, it's, it's probably one of more one of our. Uh, it's up there with uh, Deadly Force Wingshauser love scene. Yeah, pretty similar to that yeah, actually. It, it's up there. It's up there. But hey, you get to see uh, Linda, Linda Hamilton, a little yeah. nudity. So I, I can't complain. Well, Corey can't complain. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's sexy, Jack. Yeah. From there, we cut to uh, Nina. So they're in a loft. And they were on the ground floor. Now, um, Quint is on the top floor doing something. I don't know what he's doing up there, but that the bed's on the bottom floor. So that's interesting. Uh, he's looking over the loft area at Nina, who's looking through his wallet. He's got a bunch of different IDs with a bunch of different names. Yeah, I tracked this as one of the uh, the cooler apartments that that we've had in our movies. Um, Trancers was was another good one. I love yep. these these you know s- supposedly downtown LA loft apartments. Um, I know it was filmed in in I think Dallas, but uh, uh, um, Ninja Three: The Domination. She had a great apartment in that one too, and I feel like man. 
Dude, I feel like the 80s just had great movie apartments, and I feel like we don't see them anymore. You know, these, like, converted industrial apartments or something, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a you know, a downtown L.A. thing or something, you know, that, that's very specific and, and unique to that culture, but I, I love them. I love it when I see them in movies, so I, I track them. I'm like, this fucking apartment's cool as shit. Yeah, my favorite all-time apartment is um, Rucker Hauer's apartment in wanted dead or alive if you've never seen wanted dead or alive with gene simmons rucker hauer um uh, robert guillaume uh it's uh to me it's like what if rucker hauer played frank castle the punisher oh cool another bit of uh casting i think it would have been perfect but he's got a great loft apartment anyways uh what i love about the scene is she's looking through his ids and Quint's walking down uh, the stairs to see her. And uh, on each stair of, of the loft, there's a, uh, there's a mannequin head with a wig on it, alluding to all the different wigs she has. And he, she goes, just how many names you got? And he goes, well, how many wigs you got? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, tea? And he goes, yeah. Who fucking drinks tea? Anyway, I guess I did too. Whatever. Uh, and she's got this sweet motorcycle at the base of her steps. And Quint gets on the motorcycle, turns on the light, and he smiles. And she and uh, Nina goes, what exactly do you expect me to do for you? And Quint goes, nothing. Nothing. And then she gets really serious, and she goes, don't lie, please. And Nina brings the tea over to her bed, and Quint approaches and, he, and she's like, why don't you tell me about your friends? And suddenly, like, she's interested in wanting to help him. And Quinko, this is kind of lame. He goes, I don't really have any friends. And she goes, and he goes, do you? What about those people you work for? And she goes, what do you mean? Come on. We ought to try to trust each other. Like, she likes him, he likes her. It's a cool little exchange. Yeah, but it's also like, it's it's also like when she asked about his friends, he forgot that he was, she was referring to the... That's what I thought. Yeah. I'm like, did you forget? Are you improvising this whole scene right now? Yeah. And they was, just decided to keep it in? Yeah, because the, fir- yeah, the first time I watched it, it's so weird because... I was so fucking high and drunk that that, that line made sense to me because like, yeah, he's a thief. You don't got no friends. And then, you know, when I'm actually taking notes and I'm stone cold sober, I'm like, oh, she's asking about the Black Moon Boys and you forgot about them. Yeah, he did forget about them. <laughs> he totally did. That, yeah, it's, yeah, I think that's a faux pas on the, uh, the whole the director, everything. S- script, yeah, I think that's a script issue. Yep. And so... Uh, so he says, you know, we have a lot in common. And she goes, what? And he goes, we're both thieves. She goes, and what do you steal? And he goes, well, this and that. Actually, as soon as my current obligations are taken care of, I'm retiring. And she goes, what do retired thieves do? He goes, they get away. And she looks really serious and like interested, right? And she goes, well, where to? And he looks down kind of at her books that she has uh, near a table. And one of them is a a book about Rio. And he goes, well, how about Rio? And then she gets serious and she goes, why have you been following me? And he goes, I need that funny looking car. She goes, what makes you think I'll help you? He goes, you have an honest face. They kiss and then go back to boning. And I, I like that piece of dialogue when she's like, well, what do thieves do or when they retire or whatever? And he's like, they get away. I thought that was that was cool. That That's gold, Jerry, gold. Yeah, it's cool because, you know, he's the hero thief. And then yeah. sometimes in movies there's the villain thief. I think of like um, 
uh, Willem Dafoe in the, To Live and Die in L.A., you know. No, another think, movie you and I both love, and it'll just be a matter of time when one of us brings it to uh, podcasting after dark. Right. And apparently Dustin has a, a film in mind, but he won't reveal it just yet. Oh, that's right, because he gets next to pick the next crossover. one. Yep, yep. Yes. Anyways, from there, you cut to Earl, Tyke, and Billy at Ryland Towers in the basement snooping around. I actually really love this scene coming up. I I do too. It's this is very intense. Luis and Rylan and a security guy are watching on monitors. Suddenly Rylan says to Luis, deal with them. Cut to Billy and Earl snooping around. And Billy says, What are we doing here? Why don't we just talk to that fellow? And Earl says, He was right about the cops, wasn't he? He's like, You see those security cameras? He goes, they're focusing on the center aisle. If the police want evidence, we'll get it for them. So Billy has a small camera with him, and Earl says, I thought I told you to bring the telephoto lens, because so they want to document everything and basically give it to the cops. And he tells Tyke to go get the telephoto lens, but he does it in a really, like, it's not sign language. It's, it's like, not. He, 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 like, makes this motion with his hands, and Tyke's like, uh-huh, it's like, it's terrible. You yeah, know? yeah. Definitely not legit sign. No. And so Billy and Earl stay put and Tyke runs off to the car to get the telephoto lens. Earl goes looking for the entrance to the garage. Billy stays where he is and kind of like looks out for both of them. And then suddenly Billy walks back to where Tyke is. Tyke goes to his car, gets the telephoto lens. And as he's making his way back to Billy, there is a garbage truck driving towards him keep in mind tyke is deaf tyke is deaf he can't hear anything and the scene is pretty much silent from behind tyke you see a car driving towards him but tyke doesn't know the car is approaching him because he can't hear it he sees billy waving at him billy's kind of trying to tell him that there's a car behind him tyke to think he's waving at him so he's like (laughs) waves back at him suddenly out of nowhere The car from behind him, which is being driven by Luis, plows into Tyke, knocking him in the fucking air about 30 feet high. It's an amazing stunt. It is a fantastic stunt. I don't know how, like, I don't see the rigs. Like, I don't see things like pulleys pulling him. Uh, A human body gets shot straight up in the air. It's a stunt, man. But he gets shot straight up in the air like 30 fucking feet. Like Zach said, it's it's impressive. It's it's wild. I don't know how realistic it is, but it's it's a standout moment of the movie in in a great way because it's so fucking impressive. Yeah, it's super jarring. And so once that happens, Billy screams out Earl's name. But right after that happens, the garbage truck comes plowing down and scoops up Tyke and drives off. Dude, and then and then fucking Dan Shore's uh, character Billy, he just goes running, goes ah, just running and screaming. And and yeah. so I will say, like n- like moving after this scene, I feel like they don't put enough emphasis on their friend dying, and it kind of gets lost a bit. But oh, it's totally lost. It's but totally, right totally here. Lost. Right here, Dan Shore's, like, how his reaction to this, 
I love. And it felt like one of the most honest performances in this movie as he's running like back towards Earl, but he's just screaming. He's not like yelling Earl or yelling like, oh, they killed Tyke. He's just screaming and he looks horrified. And I was like, this is this is Dan Shore bringing 100% right here. Yeah, and flash to the end, it would have been nice if they said, you know, we got to do this for Earl or we got to do this for Tyke. That's all they needed to say. Dude, like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a problem I have with this movie is after this scene, and again, the scene is so fucking good, but afterwards, they behave as if Tyke never existed. Nope. Because, because now he no longer does. He no longer does. <laughs> hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. From there, we cut back to Nina leaving her her apartment, and there's a note on her car. Quint's gone. There's a note on her car, and it says, if you leave leave this pretty little car here in the street very long, somebody will steal it. Sure as hell. And and she smiles (laughs) and laughs. It's it's the most most joyous she looks uh, referring to something of Quint's. And that's pretty much the only time she'll show joy moving forward until the end of the movie. Uh, from there, you you see Quint coming back to his hotel room, and when he gets to the door of his place, you see at the threshold there's a shadow. He pulls his gun out, cocks it, slowly opens the door, and when he walks in, he sees Billy and Earl, and Earl says, "We changed our minds." No, Quint looks not that our friend died his... or something like that, but we yeah. we changed our minds. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah that's lame. From there, you cut to the exterior of Emile French's security systems consultant office. Quint, Earl, and Billy meet French. A.K.A. Charlie from Critters. Right. Kreitz. And they're looking at the floor plans, uh, the, the blueprints. And Quint says, some of this is reliable, some of it isn't. We'll get accurate floor plans from Iron John tonight. He, and he told us he worked on the alarms. And French goes, yeah. I and when I looked at uh, French, I was expecting to hear the Charlie voice from Critters I kind know. of being weak. But he's yeah. like, yeah, I consulted. He reminds me of the dude from, um, oh god, what's his name? He's from from uh, Deep 
Rising, the the buddy in Deep Rising, uh, Treat Williams. Uh, uh, oh, sidekick. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The one, the one Kevin Zegers from... Ye- or Ye- what Kevin the, something. The guy from uh, Lord of Illusions. He was Benny and and the Mummy. Yeah, I know who you're talking. Yeah. About. I, I love that guy. But yeah, he's he's kind shades of, of that. Yeah, he's shades of that. You're right, right. Shades of that. But he's he's actually playing this a lot cooler than than he he plays. Yeah, Charlie in in the Kreitz movies. Yeah, yeah. So I was just thinking more that they have a similar look. Yeah, you know? no, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down for sure. Yeah, and so French reveals that one of the towers isn't open yet, and, uh, and so French goes. French says they don't connect. There's no direct link. And Quint goes, "We'll make a direct link." And French goes, "Look, I know you're a hot shot and all, Quint, but this place is, uh, I, just what is it that you want to take out of there?" And Billy goes, a car. French uh, goes back to looking at the blueprints. And then you cut to Quint driving to Iron John's trailer at the construction site. When he goes into the trailer, it's quiet. Uh, There's a curtain up in front of John's bed. When he walks around the curtain, he sees Iron John dead with two bullet holes in his belly. I'd I'd rather die that way than fucking whatever, you know... uh, (laughs) Uh, iron lung he needs there you know what i mean yeah iron lung john uh and then quint gets choked up and right as he looks like he's about to cry suddenly there's a gun right in front of him and he sees marvin ringer with a big old 357 magnum pointed at his face yeah yeah holding the blueprints and says these what you looking for marvin's men grab quint and throw him against the wall and he says, it's time to make a deal, Quint. And then Quint says, you've been dealing with John Marvin? And then Marvin says, he didn't want to. We were smarter than that. I want that cassette. You know you're going to give it to me. And so while he's talking to him, Quint's like struggling with Ringer's men trying to get away, Marvin's men. And then he says, eventually. And then he hits uh, Quint with the butt of his gun and knocks Quint to the ground. And then proceeds to beat the shit out of Quint. Him and his goons. His goons throw him against the cabinet wall. Marvin says, get him out of here. And they throw him out the front door. He goes, he doesn't, I think initially he, I I am assuming he initially was supposed to fly over the railing of the front door onto the car, but he didn't. It was almost like in wrestling. They try to throw him over the top rope and they don't. And they go over and they like lift him and throw him over the railing of the, of the, the stairs that go up to the trailer onto this hood of this car. And this, yeah, this next sequence, which goes on for about two to three minutes, yeah. is a ass kicking on Quint. Quint gets his ass handed to him. And I'm not gonna lie, the choreography is actually quite fun. It is. It's a lot more exciting than your typical '80s like beat up. Like I mean, it's 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 almost wrestling. At, like he gets people get flying through the air and stuff like that. But ultimately. Quint winds up sort of on his back. I mean, they beat the shit out of him. He he is getting fucked up, and we don't see our pro, our protagonist getting fucked up as usually as much as as this is here. And he is he is getting wailed on, broken ribs, everything. But he ends up on his back and sort of under his car, 
and he sort of starts crawling under his car. And I like how, like, even Mr. Body, you know, is like, wow, dude, I was telling these guys about you. Like, come on, man. You're you letting be, me down. You're letting me down, you know. But Quint's about to come out with a surprise, though. He is. And, and be- before I reveal that, I just want to say it, it's interesting that this reminded me of the fight scene and they live one sided, mind you. Yeah. But and again, that's Carpenter. And so maybe Carpenter had some sort of hand in like the fact that because this felt like a rest because Carpenter's a wrestling fan. Yeah, so there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. So he pulls out a gun from underneath his car, which, which is in a plastic bag, yeah. by the way, which is fucking cool because that makes sense. Yeah, that's so fucking good. This is the shit that I like, man. So he had he had apparently had a gun under his like undercarriage of his car that he could get to if he needed to it's in a bag but you know you know it's taped up underneath there or something i I, that's cool as shit man yeah he blasts all almost all the dudes except for marvin except for marvin but i was gonna say the cool thing is man he pulls it out and there's almost like no fanfare for it it's he pulls it out and then one guy goes oh shit and kind of goes for his gun he blasts that guy but then when he shoots the other guy because he's got like a fucking magnum or something he blasts the other guy like goes flying through the air i loved that i thought that was so fucking great. great i just i loved how how quickly he ended the fight you know essentially um I did think that he shot Marvin when Marvin was sort of running away and kind of climbing up the the construction site. You know, he fires a couple rounds, misses, and then that last shot, you think he hits Marvin, but I think that was supposed to be kind of a red herring type of thing. Yeah, because he Marvin's like climbing up the wall of this of this construction site, up a ladder. Uh, he hits him. It looks like he hits him, but he hit maybe a, a, a two by four beam that he was holding onto and he falls over this wall. But then you cut to Marvin running down the street, uh, getting away. So yeah. he basically still alive and he's going to come back. Spoiler from there. You cut to Quint driving, looking just tore up from the floor up struggling. I've driven like that back in my twenties when I was drunk coming home from a bar, but it's, I'll yeah, never do that again. Yeah, dude, I living in L.A., man, I'm not not going to condone it and and definitely look back on it thinking I was an asshole. But, yeah, I've driven home pretty fucking drunk in L.A., too. But many people have done it. Yeah. yeah. And, and and we don't condone it. And it's no. never a smart idea. Um, I will say here that this was a very realistic thing. Like we see. In movies, you know, our Arnold Schwarzeneggers, our our Sylvester Stallones, and our our protagonists, our action hero protagonists, are 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 you know our fucking rigs, you know, from from Lethal Weapon getting fucked up by Endo, you know, with the electricity and everything, you know, but yeah. like they always recover so quickly, and it almost seems like none of the damage ever mattered. Here, I will say that for the rest of the movie. And it's only the movie's actually only about 30 minutes left Um, for the rest of the movie. Quint is fucked up from this and rightfully so because he took a fucking beating. But this scene right here post the beating, he's trying to drive back to Nina's place. He almost doesn't make it like he almost fucking crashes into the wall and shit. He's passing out. I love this. I'm like, this is this is fucking smart. This is cool, you know? Yeah, what I love about this is what he finally does make it to Nina's place, but he parks it. But he parks his car like perpendicular to her car. <laughs> yeah, he, but he he pulls, he's able to do it. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he gets he gets out of the car. Nina's like learning to speak Italian in her uh, apartment. 
Quint knocks on her door. She answers and he goes, he's looking like shit. And he's like, I was driving by and I saw your lights. Thought I'd say hello. Then passes out and falls on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) From there, you cut to Nina kind of tending to his wounds and he's screaming, you know, really loud. (laughs) Ow! And she's like, he goes, you're enjoying this, aren't you? And she goes, a little bit. <laughs> and then he he keeps, like, kind of coughing. And then suddenly he starts to throw up. And then you cut to him in a bathtub. Then you know, that, was another, thigh, that was another that was another good edit that I like because he's like he's like oh, oh and then it's like it's like mid sort of vomit and it cuts to him in the bathtub. That was that was solid editing right there. Yeah, yeah. See, there's some good shit there. I, and I, like I said from the beginning, there's there's a lot of good shit in this movie, but yeah, there's a lot of some there's some problems too. Some hiccups, yeah. With with Nick Nick Casavetes. Yes. <laughs> so so Nino. Uh, approaches him in the tub with a with a shot of whiskey and she goes i haven't asked you what happened because i don't want to know i have problems of my own and he goes here with your boss rylan name keeps coming up she goes just how badly do you want that car and he goes well look at me <laughs> i like that i like that uh dialogue too i do cut to quint in bed pretending to be asleep nina's leaving she leaves a note at his side and takes off and what does the note say the note says, please don't steal the motorcycle. <laughs> I like that. That was fucking It's like they're good. flirting back yeah, and forth. That was right? cute. Because they're I both like thieves. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cut to French's office with Billy and Earl. French is teaching Earl how to dis- how basically how to rig up a, uh, a, a, a video camera and create a loop so, that, uh, so they can, you know, break into the Ryland building. Yeah, and I like how Earl's like trying to think about it, and I like how uh, Dan Shore's character's like, "Earl, you were in, you were na- you were NASA. Come on, man. You know, I like, I like that little little moments like that are, are what I enjoy." Yeah, because 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 Earl's Earl's nervous. Uh, you know, they're having to like basically cut wire, cut alarms without tripping any alarms. Yeah. <laughs> but French is, I like the sequence because he's teaching them how to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. neat. And and I like that. You know, spoiler alert, like. Nothing happens to French. Like I thought, you know, he he doesn't get killed or anything either. Like I, I like that that he he's not in it a lot. Like this is it. This is this is all there is to it. But like you said earlier, you know, the the movie does a good job of sort of filling out these side characters with, you know, solid actors and everything. Yeah. In in another movie, they would the bad guys would come and kill French at some point. Ex- right? Exactly. But it doesn't need to happen. It's you not need to always to, do that. Yeah. So from there, suddenly. Quint shows up looking like hell and everyone's freaking out because they're like, what happened to you? And he goes, gentlemen, timing is of the essence because now we're looking at like maybe one day left. Yeah. We're in day two of the three days. Mm -hmm. And he shows up with the, with the blueprints, you know, so he, he got what he needed to get for them, but you could tell that it took a toll on him. Yeah. Sorry. So after he got his ass kicked by Marvin's men, he did grab the the blueprints out of Marvin's car, which was a good callback too, to make sure that we know. Oh, how did he get the blueprints? So he yeah. got them. So yeah, he starts ex- explaining to them. Uh, he goes, "The weakness in this building is the unfinished building with no security system, other than the deputy dog. If I can get up to the top of that building there, I can get to, I can get to the other side, and you guys can come in from the bottom." And Earl's like, yeah, we'll come in through the cable access tunnels under the garage and we'll cut. They start explaining the whole deal, which I really appreciate. Yeah. And it's not 
overly complicated. We're not talking like Ocean's Eleven type of shit, but it's it's enough to to keep you entertained and to give everyone something to do. It's important stuff, though. Like, it's important that they explain what they do. Yeah. You know, making a loop of the em- the camera of the empty garage, bypassing the security. Like, like, all this will come into play. Like, all of this will unfold. Yeah. And I appreciate that they took the time to do that. Yep. And so, Quint's like, Quint says, if our timing's right, this should work. And they time it out. Uh which I also love this too, because it, it it's all about the certain amount of time they can do this within, right? Because mm-hmm. they have the, there, they also have the laser thing set to a timer too, and everything. Yeah, it's fucking cool. Yep. From there, you cut to Nina arriving at the towers, but she gets to Ryland's office to talk to Ryland. And I gotta say, Ryland's office not as cool as Dillinger's office in Tron. Definitely not. Ryland says, "I want to show you something." And he shows Nina the security camera footage of Quint on the screen with his hands on his hips, looking up at the camera from the beginning from the beginning of the movie. He says, this is the man who got into the outer garage. The night you brought the car in, the night you were followed. Do you know this man? And Nina goes, not really. Well, she knows his dick. And <laughs> Ryland goes, what do you think he was looking for? And Nina goes, you're asking me? And, he, and, he, and Ryland goes, do you have any ideas? Nina goes, no. He goes, this next tape was just brought in from one of our remote surveillance units. And suddenly it's the footage of Nina riding Quint. And <laughs> Nina freaks out. You bastard. And Ryland goes, you betrayed me. And Nina goes, I only wish I had. Okay, because she technically sort of hasn't yet, you know? Yeah. And he forces her to watch the video. And he's like, let's see the real Nina. She's like, stop it, stop it. He goes, let's all watch this together. And jerk off. Yeah, while I jerk off. (laughs) Let's see how you repaid me for everything I did for you. She goes, I owe you nothing. I gave you a life. You gave me your life, and you grabbed at it. I was on the street, and I would have grabbed at anything. You know how I found her, Luis? She was sleeping in a burned-out hotel, and she tried to steal my car. My car. And she almost got away with it. She was a natural. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Exterminate. Sorry, he's not a Dalek. <laughs> I, I saw where you were going with it. I, I'm picking it up, buddy. Uh, do you remember? But, but, yeah, dude, like, the fact that, like, he tells you here that she was found in a burned-out like hotel that's when i was like she's too clean looking in that video you know yeah exactly exactly i mean uh too clean yeah yeah not a burnt out rylan goes get her out of here get the truth out of her Luis takes nina out of rylan's office he goes back to looking at the video of quint and you know he went back to watching the video of nina for, too for sure is everybody clear? <laughs> Jerk off now. As he unbuttons his pants. <laughs> and then fucking Luis puts her in like a storage closet. And I'm like, really? Which has like, a security code on it. Like, But I was like, really? Like, you don't have any kind of... Uh, a building that big doesn't have a security room with some sort of, you know, low-key holding cell in it or something? You have to put her in a fucking storage closet? Yeah, which she could, like, read stuff in there. You just fucking kick the I door open, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. I, like, I don't care, like, if it has a key card or not. Like, you're not going to put a, you're not gonna put a reinforced door on a storage closet, you know? Right. 
Yeah, so she's fr- she's freaking out now when he throws her in there. Cuts back to Quint with the fellas, and he's loading like this syringe gun, and Earl asks, "What's that for?" And Quint goes, "Vaccinations." <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're practicing the. They basically do a rough run through of what they got to do to break into the towers using laser beams that'll blind the video cameras. And I like how, like, at at one point, like, uh, I think someone hands Dan Shore a gun, you know, and he's like, I I like how he's like, Earl, I don't know if I can kill a man over a car, you know? And I like how Earl's like, well, remember, wait, hold on a second, he goes, well, they did remember that. And I I love that little piece of dialogue. There's your little callback to Tyke. To fucking Uh, Tyke. Somebody remember Tyke, please. Yeah, Yeah, because Billy's like, I should be the one to drive the car out of there, and, and... Quint's like, no, I need you both to get me out of there. Yeah. And so they sync up their watches. And he's like, we go precisely 15 minutes from now. And I love that. I love when there's like a deadline, even if it doesn't like fully track with the time. And I don't need you to do that. I don't need that fucking, what was that uh, terrible Johnny Depp movie? Nine hours or nine minutes. Where like tracks everything or or whatever. Yeah, I get it. Like, I mean, at the same time, like I don't want something to... Like, if something takes five minutes if for the bomb to explode, I don't want there to literally be 30 minutes of the movie left, you know? Agreed. But but yeah. I will say, whether it tracks or not, there is only about 15 minutes left in the movie here when he's like, okay, you know, it's it, time to go. It, it really, it's close. I don't know if it was intended to be this close, but it is. It's pretty close. Yeah. yeah. From there, we cut to Ryland Towers. Billy and Earl are going down. They're going down. <laughs> going down. Bobby Brown. By the way, if you've never heard Bobby Brown by um, uh, Frank Zappa, it's really fucking funny. I'm, He's going down I'm, with I'm, a spindle up his butt <laughs> and a spoon in his nose. So fucking funny. I'm, I'm thinking about the Bruce Springsteen song. I'm going down, 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 down. Oh, and I'm thinking about uh, a male prostitute. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, uh, yeah, so this this next sequence is all about cutting back and forth between Billy and Earl and Quint and breaking into Ryland Towers. Yeah. Uh, and the inept security that follows. Yes. So uh, they set up the lasers to the, the lasers to kind of block the, the security cameras. Super which causes cool. A, yep, super cool, which causes a glitch in the security cameras. Security officers are freaking out. Rylan walks in like Rylan's always in the right place at the right time. And he's like, what's going on? I, what, what? I noticed that too. I noticed that too. the security guard's like, Hmm, uh, we have a little problem here. I'm uh, and then all of a sudden Rylan's behind him. Like what's happening? You know, it's like, Jesus <laughs> guy, <laughs> like let me do my job, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, run a system check. And so you cut, so that, that happens. Then you cut back to Billy and Earl in the sewers and they run into a bunch of turtles. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> And uh, <laughs> cut back to they're, so they're Good like one. going through the wire systems. Quint is using a security code to, and he makes it to the front door of the empty tower. Uses a security code to get in. Billy and Earl make their way through the underground electrical area. Security catches Quint going up the stairs of the tower, but he like does a almost jump kick to the face of the security guard, knocking him down the stairs. Yeah. It's such a great moment. So quick, but he like goes, Kiai almost. I, I like it. It was fun. It was cool. Yeah. 
And as he does, he's wincing too. So, so if Quint was a wrestler, he'd totally be selling his injuries because he doesn't, he doesn't give up on those. He's like selling from this point on wincing, aching, all that shit. And it's, it's refreshing, you know, after, you know, just comparing it to all the action heroes from the eighties and all the damage that they take and they, they don't ever like show it like Quint feels all of it. Yeah, it's good. It's, 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 uh, uncommon for an 80s movie to show so much damage to a guy yeah and in the effects of it in between all these cuts you see a car roll up to the towers driver gets out walks to the back of the car window goes down the driver says what do we do now and you see it's marvin sitting in the back and he goes you'll see (laughs) i i'll have to i I just want to say that like that doesn't help your your driver guy. That doesn't really help your goon. Like, yes, it's cool for a movie, but at the same time, if I was the goon guy, I would have been like, oh, that doesn't help me, buddy. Like, right. you need me to, like, do something, I'll do it, but don't just, like, say, you'll see, and then roll up the window, you <laughs> asshole. It's funny. I know clearly they just inserted this shot to explain why he shows up later, I... but, you know. Yeah, it felt like maybe it's possibly like a a, a tacked on reshoot type of thing or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Finally, Quint makes his way to the top of the tower, and he he's got a backpack on, and what he's got in the backpack is the catapult, uh, not the catapult. Uh, what do you call him? A cr- <coughs> crossbow with like a, a a grappling hook on one end, so he can yes. shoot it across. And it's got a hook. rope and everything and whatnot. Full-on G.I. Joe Scarlet yeah. badass yeah. shit. Shoots it across to the other tower. It it locks in and lodges across the way. And he looks, he does that thing you're never supposed to do. He looks over the edge of the tower down to the bottom and gets a little, you know, vertigo just for a slight moment. Yeah, it's kind of like he's like, sheesh. <laughs> yeah. He starts to make his way across the towers, which is really fucking cool. I love this scene. It actually gave me sweaty palms just watching it because you know what's going to happen. The uh, grappling hook starts to get loosened and starts to get dislodged. The cable that has a pulley system uh, uh, connected to it, it, it goes off the pulley, so it's gets, it gets stuck, and he's stuck in the middle of the two towers. It's, it's really terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's an intense scene. I, I give him props for, for doing this one. It, it's, it's, well, it's well constructed, you know? For sure. He's able to course correct himself uh, and, and like basically pull himself across without the use of the pulley system. Make barely makes it over the edge. Uh, in a cliche movie, they would have had the grappling hook get dislodged and fall, but they didn't, which no. I think is cool. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's almost like a non plus entity thing, but like at the same time, it becomes sort of more realistic that they didn't make it bigger than it was. It, it slowed them down and it created tension, but it didn't overdo it to the point where you'll see in the 90s, like, yeah, the, the grappling hook would come unlodged. He would slide. He would s- slide down the end. He'd have to crawl up and everything. I'm glad we didn't see that because I feel like we've seen that a million times. Yeah, yeah, this, this was good. And and at the same time, you've got the two sneakers who are trying to set up the, the loop footage uh, for Quint so that he can make his way through the tower without getting caught by security. He's made it over to the main tower where the car is, and he's making his way down through, like, basically uh, 
ventilator shafts. Uh, you know, initially I like this because he has to like open up a, uh, shutter doors, uh, shutter panels that are maybe for a giant AC unit and take these filters off, but he's wincing the whole time. Cause it's hard to do mm-hmm. when you're get your ass kicked and he makes his way into the, uh, shafts. And as you cut back to Earl and Billy creating this loop, then you cut to Nina who's in her holding room and she's yelling for a guard and Quint is in the shaft. He hears Nina from, he's on his way to get the car, but then he hears Nina calling out. So he goes and follows her voice and finds her. This is funny because he looks at her from above through the uh, grate and he goes, Hey, what what you doing? (laughs) And she goes, get me out of here. And, and so he opens up the shaft grate, pulls her up, which, you know, for a guy who's in pain, he's able to do that pretty easily, but maybe she weighs 90 pounds. Uh, and then this is great. This is consistency, continuity, because he says, well, let me tape the grate back to make it seem like, you know, so it covers their tracks, basically. Yeah, no, I like that. At the same time, you're, Ryland's watching the old video of Nina with her baseball cap on, and he looks like kind of sentimental, and he leaves. Cuts back to Nina and Quint making their way down through the shaft. And Quint asks, how you doing? And she goes, I'm okay. (laughs) Suddenly, they drop down into a uh, bathroom. And she starts crying and he hugs her because she's had a hard life. And he's probably (laughs) the only dude that cares about her. (laughs) But in reality, it's Linda Hamilton crying that she has to do another scene with Tommy Lee Jones. Another love scene. (laughs) Spoiler. (laughs) Meanwhile, they're going to exit the bathroom and Quint rigs up another laser device to block the cameras in the hallway. Then you cut to Billy and Earl making their way out of the tunnels into the like entrance to the garage. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an underground garage thing. Yeah. I mean, they come out of a manhole cover. Yeah. Well, they come then out of you, a manhole, not the cover. They come out of that manhole. From there, Nina and Quint are in an elevator going to the, the, the main level where security, where there's a security guard at a desk and another security guard is at the elevator because one scene prior, they had noticed the glitch on the screen on a, on the video screen, and they went to go check it out. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so the the security guards at the entrance to the elevator opens up. Nina's there. She says hi to him, and then suddenly the elevator the the guard gets on the elevator. Quint knocks him out with a with the you know a William Shatner James T Kirk you know totally. hammer punch to the back of the head and I'm like oh man <laughs> I love I love the the hammer punch you know <laughs> I, I I I was waiting for the dun 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 just just like we talked about and I I think it was. Nah, it was Deadly Force. I think Wingshauser does that in that one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then Quint uses his little trank gun thing on that one security guard that's watching the screens. But like, 
I don't know if it's it's you know it's it's the acting of the security guard when Quint like you know shoots him in the neck with it. You know, it, it's supposed to be knocking him out. It's not killing yeah. him, right? But as that guy's like sort of going down and Quint is like taking him down, that actor's like twitching and shit. And I'm like, you fucking killed him. Like that security guard is like going into some kind of seizure and fucking oh, dying. <laughs> he had an artery, I think, yeah, is what happened. Yeah, I think he's so. Dead. That, he's, he's that all security dead. guard is dead. He's all dead. They're all dead. They're all They're messed all... up. All messed up. <laughs> Night of the Living Dead, guys. <laughs> right. Come on. What's wrong with you? You guys should all know that. <laughs> so from there, you cut back to Earl and Billy in the main garage. Then you cut to Rylan going to Nina's holding cell, opens up the door. She's not in there. He freaks out. Holding cell? It's a supply closet. Sorry. <laughs> he fucking freaks out and grabs a stapler. He's like, I need a stapler and I need to find Nina. <laughs> And then you cut back to Quint and Nina entering the garage, the chop shop, and Quint is now wearing a security guard outfit, which is very smart, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. So no one notices them at all. Billy and Earl are at the front of the entrance to the the chop shop, the the wall, the the, uh, solid cement wall, and they're hooking up a, like, C4, basically. Cut to Ryland and Luis looking at the monitors of this, uh, on, on the back, looking at those famous video monitors, and they watch. They notice Quint and Nina looking at the black moon from uh, the fenced-off area, and they realize what's going on, and they sound an alarm. Quint realizes they're going to get caught. Nina has to pick the lock of the uh, the the the, the, the fenced-off area, and they're able to get through. They get in the car. They start to Quint sets a timer. He has a certain amount of time before the explosion, before the C4 explosive goes off. So they basically are now driving around the garage, avoiding security who should who's shooting at them. Uh, they what, knock one, one of the, one one of the guys guard. jumps on the hood and like it's like shot off. And again, they do a good job. This is not Mad Max sped up footage. Like they do a good job of of keeping the speed and everything. And that one stuntman slash actor, he gets shot off. It's really funny because he gets shot off, and then another guy jumps onto like a a shelving unit, and yeah. the shelving unit just falls over with the guy on it. <laughs> And then they, you can clearly tell, like, they didn't plan that, so then they had to add a shot of the shelving unit falling over with the guy on it, like, you know, another <laughs> angle of it, you know? But it's this is all exciting, though. This is all very fun right now. This is, I'm, I'm again, loving this scene as, as well. Yeah, this is great, because he's got to drive around until the wall gets blown up, and then he can get out of there, because they're not going to just sit in front of the wall. And the cop, the security shooting at them. But remember, the thing's bulletproof, so the bullets just bounce off. And it's because it's made out of Kevlar, that little throwaway line. Uh, and the first act of the movie was was great. It comes back to play as to why none of these bullets do anything. Although, keep in mind, this entire time, that sunroof is always open and fucking Tommy Lee Jones's giant Cro-Magnum head is sticking out the top of it. No bullets hit that, though. No, they don't. And so, so after, as this is going on, uh, Billy and Earl run away from the door and security, who's on the other side of the door where Billy and Earl are, go to investigate the C4 at the wall. 
They realize there's an explosive there. They run away. Nina and Quint get close to the wall before it blows up. It blows up. They go to drive out. But then giant steel bars come down and block their way to get out. And I like how Nina looks at him. She's like, you tried to blow it? Like, she knew that would happen if you tried to, you know, blow it up. And I like how he's like, Quint's like, in kind of an Empire Strikes Back when the Millennium Falcon, uh, you know, hyperdrive doesn't work. And Han's like, it's not my fault. I like how Quint's like, that wasn't in the fucking plans. And and yeah. that was cool. I like this little moment here. Yeah. And then Rylan goes, I trapped him. <laughs> 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 so now Quint's back to driving around in the chop shop, avoiding gunfire from security and says to Nina, any ideas? I'm wide open to suggestions. And they're now blocked by, like, one avenue to get out is now blocked by a big truck. And Rylan says, you know, push them back. Force them in. Basically forcing them onto the freight elevator. Yeah, yeah. Nina tells Quint to get on this elevator, that which is what they do. Uh, Rylan's watching the, all of this on video and says, now, take them to the unfinished floor. And, and as they're going up the elevator... Quint goes, how do we stop this thing? Nina goes, we can't. Suddenly the, the elevator opens and Rylan and his goons are waiting for Quint and Nina to arrive. Quint drives out and is drives throughout the showroom. Rylan tells him to stop. Security has guns on them. Rylan's about like 30 feet away from the car and says, hold it, stop. And then he's talking to Quint. He goes, very impressive. What now? We just stand here and stare at each other. <laughs> it's over. The game is over. You've done well. You gave my security system quite a workout. Pointed out some problems. And then now at this point, Luis has like, you know, the security's kind of surrounding the car with her guns. Luis is now hiding with a gun to the side and then goes back to Ryland talking. He goes, you, sir, behind the wheel. We've never met, but I've admired your performances. You'll be remembered. He'll be remembered. And then Quint says, I wish there were a couple ways we could do this. Nina goes, there's only one way. Rylan goes, you, Nina, step out of the car and walk away from him. We'll call this episode uh, an unfortunate breakdown in communications and, from for both of us. And is this when uh, Ryland sort of motions for Luis, uh, Nick Casavetti's Cazavetti, character to kind of walk, like sort of swing around to the other side of the car, you know, to get a jump on them. Yeah. So, yeah. So at this point, Luis is to the side kind of with his gun drawn, ready to shoot them if they get out. And then Nina says to Quint, give me your gun. Suddenly, right after she does that, right after he gives her his gun, because she's a badass in her own right. She stands up out of the car through the sunroof while Quint is looking at her and he smiles. Rylan sees her and he smiles. Nina pulls, pulls the gun out and turns and blasts Luis right in the head. Yeah. Yeah. That... Dead. <laughs> With the worst fucking squib shot I've ever seen. Worst blood shot I've ever seen in my entire life. Worst head shot I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's neat because she's like looking forward. Then she kind of like really quick looks to the right and like fucking pops him right in the head. And, which is cool. And it's, yeah, which is cool on paper. It's cool. But what in reality happens is 
Nick Cassavetes, the actor, gets hit in the forehead with a paintball, and he blinks twice. <laughs> and it's not... Yeah, you'd blink too. It's not nearly as cool as What's-His-Nuts uh, from Peter Benchley's The Be- uh, the, the Beast uh, getting blasted in the face in To Live and Die in L.A. Um, you, you remember that, right? When he gets fucking blasted with the shotgun and whatnot? Oh, when when William Peterson yep. gets blasted in the face, yep. yeah, it's great. Yeah, and, I mean, and, it's another kind of like tomato splash, but uh, it is. But it's it's a good one. It's a well done one. And yes, I always refer to him as as Peter Benchley's the Beast because as a kid, that was the first time I ever sort of noticed him was on that TV movie. That, that how that, dare you? He's Will Graham from Manhunter. I, I, I always know. be my Will Graham. I know. I I know that. I know that. But yeah. So yeah. But this was very reminiscent of that into live and die in LA, but, but to live and die in LA was, was better. Um, yeah, this should have been a great brain shot with blood coming out of the back. It would have been so much more memorable. Now it's not like like a bad GIF. Exactly. Now it's a bad GIF. Whereas if this, this is a radar movie, they they should have had like a fucking headshot and everything like fucking, you know, die hard or something. But, but no, it's, 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 this is when it's like, okay, either, be PG, you know, or PG 13 or BR. If you're going to BR, give us a fucking awesome fucking headshot of, of him getting shot, you know? Well, this sequence is, this is the sequence. These next three minutes are this, are, are what put this movie into the category of cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, 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 because I think, I think it's budgetary constraints here. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I, I did like it. Like I was like, Oh, I was a little shocked when he, when he got shot in the forehead and then I, you know, thought for a second, I was like, I think I saw the actor blink, but okay. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, if, if, if this was done a little bit more effectively, it wouldn't fall into the B movie category. It would be more like, oh, that was cool. It's more now like, oh my god, you got to see this really funny scene. If it was done more effectively, we might not be reviewing it on podcasting after dark. Very true. Very true. <laughs> but um, you know what is forgettable in this scene is Nina shooting all the other security. She's taking out the yeah. security guards, which is pretty badass. It but is, it's but kind you, of, but, but it's kind of falls to the wayside. You don't really notice it, you know. No, it goes super fast, and then uh, Quint, you know. Uh, she's getting shot at now. They're all getting shot at. So Quint pulls her down back into the passenger seat and starts driving through the showroom. Ryland is still standing where he was standing earlier. And Quint drives as fast as he can and runs Ryland over. And it is it is a scene that is literally half a second long. He's dead. There's like no fanfare over him at all, which would have been better what happens next because what happens next is that Quint and uh, Quint hits the accelerator with the super ignition button and shoots through the showroom from one tower into the other, which would have been more effective is if Rylan was still on the hood and then he fell off as they're going across from one tower to the other. You took the words right out of my mouth. I would have had him somehow like um, when the guy in the rock Oh no! It was Tony Todd. When Tony Todd in the Rock yes. takes the missile right yes. to the the groin, that's you know, how you do it. That's how you 
fucking do it. Now, maybe it's it's movies like this that paved the way for the 90s to come. And for, you know, I'm sure maybe Michael Bay in the 90s was like, you know, Black Moon Rising was cool, but I would have done some things differently. But yeah, like at this point, it is cool. I mean, he runs over Ry- Ryland, and I, I like that, but it could have been better. It could have been bigger. It could have been more exciting. And at the very least, if he's not holding on to the hood of the car as as they're shooting across, just at least knock him out the window as they're shooting across. And then he can do his like, you know, you can have a Dick Jones moment from RoboCop and have him falling, but have his arms too long, you know? Yeah. I mean, that would be hilarious, you know, or as he's screaming, Nina, Nina. <laughs> Superman um, three. <laughs> <laughs> right. But they don't. And, and it is a pretty cool scene where they shoot across the one building to the other. Uh, yeah. Co- you know, cool the, enough for fast and the furious, like part eight to rip it off. Hey, fuck it. You know, they do that. Like, and then people go, Oh my God, that was so inventive. And you go, no, th- it's been done before. They just did it really well. Yeah. They did it really well, but it's been done before. Yeah. Like in this case, um, it is cool. Cause they go across to the other side and you get, then there's panic because they're going so fast. You think they might drive through the window of the other side when, and there's no other tower on the other side, the, the, the same but, drama that fast and the furious did as well. Okay. Then I've never seen one fast and furious movie. So you'll just, you just saved me. Me and Diallo love those movies, by the way. And you know, and you, yes, they rip things off and yes, they're, they're dumb, but they're a lot of fun and I do enjoy them. Hey, it's all good. I'm just like, there's so much, never enough time in the world, right? (laughs) Jaffiel, brother, Jaffiel. Jaffiel. (laughs) So they're able to hit, uh, Quint is able to hit enough brakes in the car to bring it to a stop just in time so they don't go through the other window. You know what? If I was making this movie, I would have him hit the the parachute. Parachute pops open, but also shoots the cassette out where Bubba Smith grabs it out of the air. If this was made in in the 2010, that's what would have happened. That would be awesome, but that's not what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because what I do appreciate, though, is Quint gets out of the car and he runs immediately to the back of the car and grabs the tape. Yeah. So it's like they didn't forget about that continuity-wise. Suddenly, Marvin appears with all his men pulling guns out. And Marvin says, Congratulations, Quint. You just gave a whole new meaning to the term breaking and entering. I'll be taking that. And then Marvin says to his men, Get him. Suddenly, they start struggling. And Quint doesn't take no shit. He starts kicking them, knocking them out one by one. Nina is also taking them out one by one. Yeah. She they're like, we've, one. Been, we've been through too much shit to put up with you right now. <laughs> he doesn't even stand a chance at this point. Yeah. Right. And, and so, and, and, uh, Quint gets a hold of a gun, but then Marvin hits Nina in the face. Right. And then suddenly Quint punches Marvin in the face and they're, having a showdown finally they're having their final confrontation this is like the main villain i guess of the movie right and then johnson shows up with little johnson (laughs) (laughs) and nina runs over to them and she's like i need your gun i need your gun and johnson's like let him fight he basically says let them fight each other right and then this is the second big ass battle that quint has in the movie but it's a one-on-one fight and it's actually really well choreographed in my opinion uh to it, the, it, it is but you know except for the fact that 
two public servants, FBI agents, are just watching two thieves and criminals duke it out when they could easily have the power to just walk over there and shut it down. You know? But Johnson, I think at this point, hates Quint. And, you know, he's he's he doesn't like he he's a thief. Right. He's yeah. he's not a, he's a criminal. So he's like, let these guys have their fucking due. I'll pick up the pieces when they're, one of them's dead. You know what? Right? I'll, you're right. I'll, I'll take that as his motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Because he doesn't give a shit about either of them. But I do appreciate that Marvin pulls out a straight razor and straight razors are always creepy in any type of circumstance because just the idea of getting sliced is just yeah. oh, it makes me cringe even thinking about it. Um, but Quint is able to wrestle the straight razor away. They they just pound the shit out of each other. But Quint gets the upper hand, knocks Marvin on the ground, goes to slash his throat with the straight razor. But then Quint says, you're just not a winner, Marvin. You're not even a runner up. And he drops the straight razor on the ground, takes the tape from Marvin. And as he walks away, he says to Johnson, better watch that guy. He's a criminal. <laughs> and he gives the tape to Johnson. Johnson says, nice job, Quint. Quint goes, thanks. Johnson says, hour and a half to spare, which is great because it's like we're still thinking about the timeline, mm-hmm. right? So it's got to be, what, 7.30? Yeah. Johnson gives Quint his money and his passports, and Quint and Nina walk off arm in arm. They got they have their arms around each other. And Johnson says, next time. And Nina goes, there won't be a next time. And Quint goes, yeah, honest. <laughs> and as they walk away, Billy and Earl show up, and they run over to their car, which is smoking, and Earl's freaking out, and he's like, "What do we tell the Italians?" And, and Billy's and, like, "And Billy's like, forget the Italians. What are we going to tell Boeing?" Or come you know, on now, come on, go tell Boeing because it flies, guys and gals, because it flies, because it flies. I like this. They're cut to Nina and Quint walking out of Ryland Towers as the cops are rolling in to presumably bust everyone else that's alive. And then they're kind of arm in arm smiling while the sirens are wailing. From there, you cut back to Nina and Quint in bed at Nina's place. And Quint is, you know, tore up from the floor up, agonizing in pain. And he's like, how are we going to do this? And Nina's like, are you sure you want, are you sure sure you're up up to it? Are you sure you're up to it? Yeah. And and then then Quint, what does Quint do? Yeah, dude, I noticed that the first time he does this like mock, you know, it's, it's funny and I get it. It's supposed to be in jest, but he does like this, like I'm going to punch you type of thing because she says, you know, it, it's implying that he can't get it up. And I was like, I both times I watched this man, I was like, this does not look good in 2022. And maybe, you no. know, it probably didn't even look good in 1986. I feel like this was one of those Tommy Lee Jones improv moments, you know, and uh, I think it was. I think it was. And I didn't I didn't love it, my friend. I didn't love it. No, that was not a that was not a good scene for sure. And then I thought for a moment. I was thinking of the movie, the Thomas crown affair, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the Steve McQueen. Yeah. Faye Dunaway movie where they were both thieves. I think, I think they were both thieves. I haven't seen that movie in forever. Yeah. But I that was like a classy her. version. Cause these are like two thieves that are going to yeah. go off together. Maybe do some more thievery. 
right? They could make a sequel if they wanted to, if this movie made money, but they didn't. Yeah. But Quint, after he faint, like acts like he's going to punch her in the face, he goes, they, they beat me up. They didn't kill me. And then, and then he starts to groan again, still in pain. And Nina's like, I think it might be a good idea if you just lie still, give your body a chance to rest. And then he kind of like goes down to her bellies, like laying there about to pass out. And he goes, tell me something. Yeah. Are you glad you ripped that car off? And she goes, yeah. And as the camera fades to black, he goes, me too. Cue the music. End credits and end black moon. I almost said poon. End black moon rising. And I like that. I like him being like, you know, tell me, did you, did you, are you know, are you happy you, you stole the car? And she's like, yes. And he's like, me too. I, I like how it ended, Um, you know, f- fucking feign punching aside or whatever. That was bad. That was bad. Doesn't track in 2022 or any time. And no, that was not sexy, Jack. Um, But overall, I mean, I, this was a weird movie, man. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a weird movie. It's it's a weird film. Perfect for Pat. It's, it's perfect for Pat. It's a, it's a cult movie. It's not perfect there, but it's it's so funny because like the things that I like dislike are are outweighed by such cool moments you know like i said that that chase scene when when he's chasing her and she's in the black moon uh, and they're going through downtown la that that scene was spectacular it was fantastic the editing was great the the driving was great and everything and then you know but for every awesome scene like that you have something that doesn't quite work right and and i think that's why this movie is what it is you know like it's 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 sitting where it's sitting in the annals of, of history and everything of film history. And, uh, I know it's an, it's a unique one, bro. It's a unique one. And I'm super glad as always, I'm super glad to have the knowledge of this film under my belt. Uh, especially, you know, just, just seeing this, the VHS cover so much as a kid, you know, not knowing what it was about or anything. And, you know, just judging by the cover, I assume Tommy Lee Jones was a cop because that's what he plays. And this, you know, this was different. This was a different story. It was a different movie than we're sort of used to. Um, I recommend it. I recommend it to people who haven't seen it. It's not perfect. You know, you know what we don't like about it, but I think it should still be seen. I think there's some cool shit in it. I think it has it. It has an interesting place in film history. And uh, yeah, I recommend it, man. This was a good one. Thank you, buddy. This was this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I can guarantee you. Even if the movie is uh, at the end of the day not a the best film, uh, it's gonna make for a great conversation and for a fun watch. And so this movie's a fun watch. For sure. There's enough moments that you'll laugh your ass off at the comical stuff. and But there's other moments where you're like, oh, this is a cool caper film. This is a cool thief film. This cool heist film. Fight, cool heist film. There's enough tension in it, you know, where you there's a timeline aspect where you're like, oh, they got to get to the finish line. Otherwise, they're going to be dead or someone's going to die. And, and it's not the best heist film, and it's not the no. best this film, it's not the best that film of whatever genre it's dipping into, but it's borrowing so much from different genres that it's creating its own sort of thing, you know, and I, I find that interesting. Yeah, I, I think I think um, moving forward, I kind of like the idea of doing other heist movies. There's uh, some lesser-known kind of risk 
type films where like, oh, you know, it comes down to that one little thing that are definitely worse than this movie quality wise, but they're going to be fun nevertheless. Yeah. I always try to bring the fun, baby, just like you do. <laughs> yeah, dude. And this was a blast. And you know where Zach always brings the fun? That's with our pal Dustin on $2 late fee. My man, what is going on with November as as we're as we're in the first week of it? What do you guys have planned for this month on the free feeds? Well, well speaking of not necessarily good movies, but ones that are fun to discuss, uh 1987 it was 35 years ago. A lot of great movies came out during that time. One of those movies that wasn't so great but fun to talk about, nevertheless, is Teen Wolf 2. And so Dustin will, uh, Dustin and I will be joined by our good brother Diallo uh, from TV Obscura fame and his own personal fame and talking about Teen Wolf 2. And that will be followed up with a great interview, a uh, little 35th anniversary reunion with three of the stars three of the stars of teen wolf 2 so uh teen so two dollar lafey's month is stacked and packed with another 35th anniversary and a bonus interview with phil juano the director of three o'clock high um so we had so much fun with him on our three o'clock high 35th anniversary episode he came back and told us another hour's worth of great stories and by the way, uh, Mad Max influenced him heavily in the opening to Three O'Clock High. Oh, that's freaking awesome. Good yeah. good job. Good job. So, I will say that's one of our best interviews we've ever done, the oh. one with Phil Juano. Oh, that's some fantastic. Good I can't wait to listen to that one. Uh, you guys are cranking out some great content as you're barreling towards your season four uh, uh, uh Season four, as you're barely you, towards and, season four. <laughs> and you know what? Well, we'll talk about it in December, but you know what's coming down the pipe in December, and it's really fucking big. Yeah. Yes, 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 it is. Yes, it is. It's a good get, my friend. Thanks. Uh, um, well, this month I have Adam coming up uh, to visit me in uh, oh, yeah. about a week and a half. Um, we're going to kind of space out our, uh, on Podcast After Dark, we're going to space out our proper reviews to kind of buy me some time to sort of hang out with Adam and everything. So we're going to kind of, uh, you know, mix things up a little bit, but, um, yeah, we're going to record the series finale to Cartwright, um, together face to face. Uh, but although I I'll say this, it won't be the, the proper series finale for Cartwright because we have some, some interesting ideas in, in how to sort of keep the show going. Um, I think it was like, I think it was like in season seven or eight or or nine um, of Curb Your Enthusiasm, they have like a Seinfeld reunion. And during the course of that season, uh, they actually uh, show, they actually record a full episode of Seinfeld. And I know that, that, people online have extracted those scenes that, that take place over the course of the season and have put it together as its own episode. Like it's a full episode of Seinfeld essentially. So Adam and I may like just review that as a proper episode of Seinfeld as a way to sort of keep Cartwright going and everything. But um, yeah, yeah, it should be fun, but we're also working on curb your enthusiasm and everything. And, uh, you know, if you're a Patreon to podcasting after dark, you know, we're working on the carpenter factor and, uh, guys and gals, we are pretty close. I'd say to his halfway point through yeah. his filmography. Um, we, we recorded Starman. Starman's coming in November. Uh, and then 
Big Trouble in Little China is right Big after that. Big Trouble. Can't Little wait. Little China. Oh, man, I can't wait. I fucking love that movie so much. But Same. as you all know, if you're if you're a Patreon member, The Carpenter Factor, we don't break down the the, the Carpenter movies. We are going through them one by one. Uh, we, we revisited the thing, and we will revisit uh, Prince of Darkness. But what we're doing is looking at each movie as a part of a whole. And uh, we're sort of discussing it as a part of a whole filmography where it fits, like what he got from it, you know, like some of his made for TV movies that we, we covered, like on, you know, Elvis and somebody's watching me, like things like that, like on, like that's where he got his SAG card, or I'm sorry, Screen Actors, the Director's Card and stuff like that, uh, Director's Guild and everything. So it's, it's kind of like these little pieces we're kind of putting together as we're going through each one. So last month we did Christine. We got Starman coming out this month. Next month, uh, we got Big Trouble in Little China. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, dude. And I know for a fact people are loving the Carpenter Factor. Yeah, and we're having a great time doing it. So it's a win-win all around. If you're not a patron, please consider becoming one. It's tol- it's totally worth it. If we could do testimonials from our uh, from our patrons, they would they would agree. So it's you know it's uh it's a couple cup it's a couple cups of coffee a month um and i think it's worth it yeah uh you know i would if if i was a listener i would totally be down to do it but i'm not i'm one of the people that does it so (laughs) i'm just telling you i don't know what the fuck i'm telling you because we've been talking for three and a half hours (laughs) what i will say your brain is fried (laughs) yeah what i will say is uh you know this is tommy lee jones here if you uh sign up for patreon it's totally worth it uh, give me a hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> go steal a car, not go really. Steal a car. <laughs> and as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.